Welcome back to another episode, episode 150-something-something, maybe, or maybe 250-something. I don't know. It's the Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. I am Christine. And on this... Oh, excuse me. Oh, you're just going to introduce yourself. I see how it is. Here I am like, oh, I'm going to be the nice, like, you know, rev you up, get the crowd going, and then do a big intro and have you walk in. But no, you're just like, give me the mic. I'm I'm here. Let me say it's hello. It's been 14 years. I forgot how to do this. <laughs> you used to do a podcast about podcasts. You don't I forget know. that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, no, I mean, now that, like, I'm not going to say who you are. Why don't you tell everybody Fozzie, everything Fozzie, you want to say? Everybody. Just deal with it. I'm Fozzie. I'm here and I'm going to talk. So that's the deal. All right. Fozzie Bear, B-A-R-E, because yeah. he's clever and sexy like that. <laughs> right. Uh, Fozzie, you come from an illustrious line of many podcasts. Is that correct? Well, kind of. I mean, I'm, uh, my biggest one, and it wasn't ever big because nobody could ever find it, but the one that lives in my heart is the podcast podcast that you mentioned. That was the first podcast I started where I would have on a podcaster to talk about their podcast. And I named it the podcast podcast, and then nobody could find it by searching iTunes. <laughs> I feel like the, I recently, I like ended up not looking for it, but typing in podcast and then it was like auto filling to podcast podcast. So I think oh, it's one cute. of those things you ended up like grabbing an SEO thing that you didn't know you were doing. If you tried selling that domain, you might make some, some money for it now. Oh, that's nice. I think I still own it. It's out there. There you somewhere. go. Hey, see if they're bidding on it. Yeah. And then I, th- I did a couple with my friend Andy, and like I podcasted with you guys a lot. Mm-hmm. I was on um, Gleecast a couple times that's back right. when that was a thing yeah. with, with you and Erica. And then I've been on this show several mm-hmm. times. So yeah, I'm just a professional podcast guest. You you are, you're like, is it, is it Heather Locklear? Like who was always a guest star on other yes. shows, but never was like technically part of the core cast. You're the Heather Locklear of the podcast world, I'd say. You know what? I've been saying that for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just it's never true. listened to you. It's a problem we have. It's true, and uh, I do love um, Melrose Places. Uh, I think it's on maybe HBO Max or something. I saw it the other day, and I was thinking of rewatching it, and I was just thinking about that, how she was the special guest star for like seven years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, gotta love her. Would you believe it? I didn't watch Melrose Place, and like I've never gone back and watched it. Christine, did you? No, I had to cough right as you asked me. Oh. I mean, you know, <laughs> no, no, I never did. I never watched Beverly Hills 90210. Oh, I never watched Beverly I know. It was just not what I was into. Yeah. It shocks me that you didn't, Emily, though. I know. Like, I feel like I should. Like, I love 90210. I still have can give you way more trivia than is fair like th- there's a podcast now you want to talk about podcasts about podcasts um jenny garth and tori spelling have a podcast now called 90210 omg oh my god where they go back and like watch episodes and it's so funny to see like how little they know in some ways like they'll have really specific memories of things but it's clear that they didn't actually watch the show when it was on so they don't put two and two together like they don't remember who had an affair with who um like they had um christina lease on an episode and they're talking about how like well and this is the last we see of you right she's like no i come back and sleep with brandon she's like wait what they're like wait when, when, when um, my character was with him like and it's very numb sitting there like annoyed because I'm, I'm like at the gym running and I'm like, no, you are so wrong about this, Christina Lee. You came back, but you didn't sleep with Brandon. This is when Kelly is in the fire. And it's just bothering me that, like, and then I'm like, why Why should they care? This is their job. This was my True. joy. They're two different things. But yeah, after all that, I should have just, I don't know why I didn't watch Melrose Place. 
There's a little part of me that loves Tori Spelling for kind of that reason. I remember her being on I, 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 it was either a podcast or Oprah or some talk show of some of some kind. And she was talking about the end of 90210. And she was like, you know, that was my first show. Like it was the first show I got, you know, by auditioning under a fake name. <laughs> wink, wink, whatever, Tori. More telling. Story. Sure. <laughs> Go with that story, Tori. But um, she was like, it was the first show I ever did. And when it ended, she was like, okay, well, I'll get another show. It'll run 11 years and then I'll just be fine. <laughs> you know? yeah. And she was so disillusioned by that. And she was very candid about like, that's why I've had to diversify. And I had to like do reality shows. <laughs> that's why I learned that. how to glue things together and become a yeah. crafter. <laughs> yep. She was like, I had to really think outside the box because it hit me hard. Like, even though I'm super stupid rich, it's still, it was a, crush to the ego yeah. to be like wait nobody wants to hire me for the most popular show in the world again what it's it's like i don't watch the housewives show i don't think either of you do do you Mm-mm. no like and it's funny because so many people that i really like res- like li- like what they like and like listening to them like a lot of podcasters a lot of people that i just like i'm on their same wavelength they're huge real housewives fans and it's so weird to me because i'm like i just don't get it i just can't i can't can- do it you can say you can say Amy from Night of the Living podcast. We all know who you're she's one about. of several, though. <laughs> and like, it's like no, one of those things. Like, I have the, so many other shared tastes, but not that. The overlap. I was just watching because um, I I watched Trixie Mattel's all of her YouTube videos. She just had a Real Housewife on, who I've uh, never heard of. I don't know who this person yeah. is. But they were they were talking about how like the Drag Race Real Housewives fandom air quotes is is not is a circle. There's mm. no overlap. It's a circle. They're the same oh. people. It's like, I, I mean, I guess maybe then I would get it. Hmm. I guess I get it. I watched, I think, the first season of Real Housewives when it was just when Bravo was that sh- that station that, like, had weird things. Right. Um, but I remember watching it, and I was like, okay, I kind of get this. But, like, then they it got, like, heavily, it felt heavily produced. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was like, this doesn't, I don't think this is for me. And now it's its own fucking thing. There's, There's like so different many of them. Different and like, oh my God. Like, and you know, I, I have to clarify, I have to I put out a disclaimer too, that like, if I did, well, I'm not above it. If I did, well, watch, I could easily love it. Like I love some dumb shit that like people wouldn't think that I would like, but, and, but I just haven't given in yet. Yeah. Like, I've been re-watching America's Next Top Model. That's been my guilty, like, just Mm. joyous, like, I don't want to think. What am I going to put on? Oh, season six was Joni and Danielle. Like, dumbest shit ever. Um, But, like, there's just something about the Housewives that I haven't – there's a code that everybody gets that I don't get. I think that's what Go on fucking Twitter on a Friday night <gasps> and you'll just and you're like, what is everybody yeah. talking about? Like and even on drag race, like whenever a queen does like, Oh, I'm doing a real housewife, I'm like, ah oh, shit, I don't I'm not gonna get these jokes. Yeah. You know? I, you know, however, I do listen to a, a Real Housewives podcast um, that's all about the show. So I know a lot of the characters yeah. on the shows and I know a lot of the storylines. It's because Casey Wilson, you know, Casey Rose oh, Wilson yeah. is on it. She's one of the hosts and I adore her in anything she does. So I started listening to the show specifically for her. So I know a lot about it. I just never have given in and watched any. Fascinating. It's yeah. like when people watch, um, like my husband does this, when like you pull up a YouTube video of somebody else playing a video game. And oh, it's yeah. like that, like, oh, no, I'm just watching the gameplay, but I'm not actually playing the game. Like, maybe is that sort of the same thing? It's kind of, yeah, I guess it's kind of like that. That, yeah. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. Like, it's, it's also kind of how 
when I gave up on Game of Thrones, you remember the notorious, like <laughs> the, the 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 drama that went down about but Game of God, Thrones. God, watching me. watching Game of Thrones with you was stressful. I will say. Uh, because you I didn't pay so attention, frustrated. and watching the um, the red wedding episode, oh, and like realizing so what was coming, what was going to happen, which is the biggest twist in the Game of Thrones universe, and like, oh my god, they're going to do it, they're going to do it, and I, I like, m- you know, my my hand is in my mouth, thinking, oh my god, what's oh Jason doesn't know what's coming, Jason doesn't know what's coming, and you were like sitting there, and we're like, your phone, like you're on your phone down, and then you're like, oh wait, who died? What, who was that? And it was yeah. yeah. Well, you you both had read the books and you were super into it or at least knew – yeah, I guess you both read the books. Oh, yeah. I could feel just four eyes digging into me <laughs> and I'm like, stop looking at me. And I, I don't like well, this feeling. If you had started looking at the TV, time, maybe we would have. Every, t- every time so- – because I never really cared for it. But I got to a point where I finally just stopped. And But I wanted to know culturally just so I could mm. keep up what mm. was happening. So I wanted people to recount it. My friend Alex, he would just tell me every week mm. what happened on it. And he'd like give a full recap. And I'm like, this is how I want to take this in. So <laughs> – like that's kind of why I listen to the podcast. That's like fair. I don't want to watch it, but I want somebody to tell me about it. It sounds good if it's like in a two-minute form of somebody recounting it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's I'll why accept I want that. A lot of media. Yeah. Uh, that is not what you're going to get today, folks, because uh, we are going to talk about movies. Uh, the movies that we're doing, uh, Jason picked them. And I do want to say we are definitely going to be spoiling both. And both of them are movies that you should watch before (laughs) hearing every detail about them because twists are big. Jason, tell us the movies you picked and why you picked them. So I don't remember which I picked first, but they do have a tenuous connection because both of them are all about identity. The -hmm. first one that's about identity is a movie from 2003 called Identity (laughs) that you may know about. Um, and the second one, I wanted to make a connection with that, I guess, if that's the one I picked first. And I started thinking about movies about identity, and I came up with one of my all-time – it honestly is probably top ten favorite movies for me. And it's 1960-somethings, Charade, mm-hmm. starring Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. And Walter Ma- – and everybody. And the, both of these movies star everybody. Yes. Yeah, star-studded yes. casts. So they have a lot of connections that way, too, because they do have a very multi-tiered cast. And uh, charade, uh, char, char, I can't, now I can't say charade, I can only say charade. Sure, because we called this episode Chardentity. So charade is streaming on Amazon Prime, Identity is not, but like it's on TNT every five minutes, so you can find it. But we are going to spoil both of them. Before we go into those, it's been a while since we've you know, had an episode and such. Uh, Christine and I are going to save our what we've been watching for a future episode where we dive into a million things. But uh, Fozzie, it's been a while. Are there other things you would like to bring up and tell people to watch and not watch uh, as a recent? You you know, we uh, we talked about this before the show. We were going to like, should we just skip this segment? But there's a couple things I wanted to maybe recommend Mm -hmm. or just discuss. So I don't have a really robust list, but I do have a few things. And the first one is that movie Werewolves Within. Woo! Did you, was that, who was that? Christine? Christine. Yes, it's one of my first five-star watches of the year. I oh, thought it's it so good. Fun. It's so cute. I just loved it so much. And I am in love with Sam Richardson. Oh. Sam Richardson. What do I, oh, is he the Maze Runner? Uh, no. <laughs> what are you thinking of? The Maze Runner. The one that Christine always likes. Oh, not Dylan O'Brien. No. <laughs> oh, them. okay. Sam Richardson does not look like Dylan O'Brien. Nope. No, nope, he does not. They're 
both men, but the they're same both, was on. Presumably they both um, have male genitalia, but who knows? Yes. They present male. That's yes, they present male. Right. Correct. Well yes. done. Yes. Um, but no, Sam Richardson is from Veep, most notably, and Detroiters is mm-hmm. the, the show with him and uh, so that other guy. Um, you definitely know this guy, but yeah, Veep is where so I... Many comedies. Yeah, he's yeah. The, that kind of comedy actor that does the same thing like every single time almost. But it's <laughs> he's so played perfect. a TSA agent in at least two two movies or t- television shows. Okay, and I bet he was the same character in all of them. And it's just so <laughs> endearing and so charming that you don't care. Nice. It's yep. kind of like Michael Sarah, you know, like back in the early two thousands or late nineties, whenever that was. Like Michael Sarah did the same thing in everything, but it's just like, oh, it's so cute. I just love it. It's fine. <laughs> He can be the same character over and over again. And, and with this one, it was good because uh, I not, this is literally how I felt was like, oh, well, he gets to be this in the whole movie. That's nice. <laughs> I get like an hour 45 with this character when usually you get like a couple jokes or like a few scenes or it was it was cool to have him lead with this character. So yeah. that's one of the reasons I liked it so much. And I'll say, too, like getting to see him a little bit longer and getting to see more of a character, I found him a little sexy in this. So mm-hmm. I, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm like falling hard for for Sam Richardson now. He's just a real up and comer. I know he's probably been around for years, but I want this to be the year of Sam Richardson. And that's the main reason I wanted to bring up that movie. We're going to make it happen. Good. He's fantastic. So if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie, but it's really close and it's really well done. It's very cluish and adorable. So nice. that's the first one. Uh, second one that you, neither of you have seen, you're going to see soon is Candy. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, of course, I won't give any spoilers about it, but I just wanted to say what I said to you that I really loved it. And I, I, I thought it was really deftly handled, making it like a, a sequel and a requel, sort mm. of. Like, because I didn't know what to expect going in. Because honestly, I didn't remember a lot about the original Candyman. It was not one of my favorites when I was younger. I appreciated it, but I never didn't watch it more than like once or twice. Um, So I didn't remember a lot. So they were great at catching you up on the old old film and what happened going in. And also like setting up this new lore and mythology, which I thought was fantastic. And the acting was great. It's a good cast. Yeah. Everybody in it was top notch. It was uh, speaking of Melrose Place. Vanessa L. Williams was oh, back. Oh, nice! That was so great to see. That is exciting. So I, I highly recommend Candyman. If you so, seen it oh yet. yeah, it's what I'm excited about. Um, the day we're recording this is the day that it launches on demand, yes. and my weekend is that tomorrow night we have set it in stone that we are on demand in Candyman, which is what I would have done a month ago if I could have. And yeah. what I'm excited about, and um, we're we're not going to talk about Malignant today because the other two of you have not seen it. But I saw it. Oh, you did see it. Oh gosh. Okay, yeah. we'll talk about that next time because Jason has it, and I, I yeah, have things. Well, we'll Jason. Yeah. Uh, the but what I found fascinating, the, like as of over the weekend, how many at least on my social feeds, how everybody was talking about Malignant. And I was thinking about it, I'm like, and I haven't seen Candyman yet. I'm I'm gonna gather that Candyman is probably a better movie than Malignant. But it it was so like to me telling of because everybody watched it because they could. It there the divide between people yeah. that are go to that are going to go to a theater and that are not, which right now is a health reason, but also in the future, if they keep doing this kind of um 
not even if they keep doing the dual release, but if they keep going with either it's theatrical or it's got a delay to streaming, then you're never going to have that. Like, I think if Candyman had opened and gone on demand the same day, I think the it would have been such a big conversation. But because it only opened in theaters, you're going to have this people that talked about it a month ago, and now you're going to have the people that are going to pay for it and watch it this weekend. And mm-hmm. now in another two months, you're going to have the people that are going to wait for it to hit whatever streaming it goes to, and we'll talk about it then. And it does this thing where, like, it kills the momentum of a movie to me. Yeah. But I don't know if it that's... Dilutes, yeah. It, like, dilutes the buzz into, the like, pop. several different yeah. buzz moments. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand I was... It's funny you mentioned this because I was thinking about this recently. Like, they don't know. They're still figuring True. it out. Like, the yeah. movie people. It's so funny to see, like, how they're trying to even brand, like, Candyman that was in theaters exclusively. Only in theaters. Like, does yeah. that fucking mean anything? And then, <laughs> like, meanwhile, when they do things, like, I think Escape Room 2 is coming on demand really soon. And they've set it as, with new footage, not in theaters. So, like, oh, okay. So, what am I supposed... and it's very like I understand a lot of it is it depends on the, the type of fan you are but I think the other thing that studios don't get as much is like but horror is always going to be different like the the again I still maintain Fear Street would not have been a success if it came out in theaters I think it would have yes. bombed no by no means would it yeah. have been and I think that's somewhat true of – I think with Candyman, like, I understand, like, you really wanted that theater thing. But yeah. I think as a result, that movie is going to ultimately have less of a impact – I don't know if impact is the right word, but, like, footprint than if it had come out all in one place at once. Right. There would be memes about it. Right. People, yeah, it people would discuss part it. of, like, a cultural conversation the way that some of these yeah. other ones were and it's interesting as two fellow current and not no longer new yorkers as we all were at one point um (laughs) it's it's interesting to hear i see a lot of film critics i still follow a ton on twitter are like the the theatrical experience needs to be protected and like as a normie who's lived in big cities like do you guys understand how bad the theatrical experience can be like not not to make everyone seem like an elitist, but I'm not going to tell your ride. I'm not going to tiff. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have these really curated theater or these beautiful LA theaters that everybody always talks yes. about. Or you just run into Quentin Tarantino yeah. every night for some reason. Or even like, these really nice like cinema deluse, like in the middle of I don't know, the middle of the suburbs where the seats are really spacious and the ticket is $9. Like, no, it is still $15 for me to see a movie. No, I have to sit in a tight seat in the wall where somebody is on their phone during the entirety of Annabelle creation. And there's a bright screen. Like, I get get it. And I, and, and, Theater is great. I, I got to see The Matrix, the for the original Matrix in the theater in like 40X. And I was like, everything should be in the theater. <laughs> Spray water at me. But like, I, I, I also understand that that's not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, there, we were just talking about that movie with, oh gosh, that motion capture with Angelina Jolie, uh, Beowulf. Beowulf. Uh, <laughs> I saw that. It's immediately what you meant. You got it. You nailed it. <laughs> so, I, 
I saw that movie in IMAX, like, well, like fake Max, but it was still the huge screen and 3D. It was the coolest fucking movie I had ever seen. And then I saw it on cable later and I was trying to show somebody, I'm like, you got to watch this movie. And I'm like, oh, wait, this sucks. What the hell was I thinking? That movie's bad. But IMAX, like that experience made me think it was a good movie. So I get that to a point. Yeah, I just I I guess for me because so much of my preferred film going is movies like Identity or these like if yeah like I will pay occasionally I'll pay twenty bucks to go see Black Panther on a big screen and I will order food while I'm there and have that experience but I to me paying let's face it fifteen bucks for a regular ticket to go see Pet Cemetery in a theater mm-hmm. versus watching that same movie at home where I can watch it, where I'm not stressed out about worrying about telling people around me to shut up or about getting like skin disease and bugs from dirty movie theaters. Like it's just very, yeah, it's become, I don't know. And I, I know I'm getting grumpy old woman on it, but it, I'm, I don't know that I'll ever go to the movies again. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, we only went out of happenstance to go see Candyman because it was a holiday yep. and we had tried to do something else and everything was closed, but the theater was open. And so we went in and there were like seven other people there. It was a big theater. So we felt comfortable doing that, but I don't want to go to a theater anymore, like a yeah. crowded theater. Even like some of the best experiences with you, Emily, were yeah. going to see like Jurassic Park, the yeah. like Jurassic World movie and all these different like fun movie experiences. I had those, but I'm done. What's that, Christine? I said, and the roommate. I mean, oh, the roommate. <laughs> <laughs> you I rewatched that recently, and it's actually a good movie. I don't know that I believe you. I believe that you rewatched <laughs> it. A good movie. Yeah. But... It, it has Billy Zane in it. It That's has true. to be a good movie. Yeah, but he just disappears. Don't they, like, never explain where he goes? Or was I, I drew, too drunk by that murder. point? You well, that's a different story. But <laughs> I feel I remember at a certain point saying, "Where the fuck is Billy Zane?" and being really mad that he wasn't in the finale. God, I love that man. <laughs> he's oh, he's the best. Oh, uh, so what other? Um, did you watch any Billy Zane movies? No, I didn't. And I'll tell you uh, now that I work from home and like during lockdown, I just never went anywhere for the longest time. I'm only now venturing out. I started rewatching like every single show I had ever watched Mm. in my life. And so and then I just got hooked on series. So I have a couple series that I want to bring up. Um, Did anybody have or either of you watching only murders in the building? Not yet. I will wait till it's all out. There's two more episodes. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, and on Hulu. It is so charming. Mm-hmm. And Emily, I know you appreciate as much as I do shows about people of a certain age. Yes. Like, there's not just kids in a movie running around being, mm-hmm. being kids. Well, this and is... and uh, my childhood crush on Martin Short. Yeah. Yes, and he's perfect in this role. And, and Steve Martin is adorable. I'm so glad Chevy Chase isn't there. <laughs> um, and, they uh, just recast him as Selena Gomez. It's perfect. <laughs> I, and Selena Gomez is pretty good in it. I used to not care for her, and it was mostly not her. It was what Disney did sure. to her, like you know, like that baby hooker thing she had going for a while, which I felt we really all went through that phase. Come on, yeah. So, but she's good in this, and okay. has a charming supporting cast. It's really fun. So I nice. definitely recommend it. Um, next one was Penny Dreadful, the original, the uh, three seasons. Yeah. Did you guys watch that? I tried to get into it. I made it, I think, three episodes, and I just, I just, it didn't hook me. I wanted to like it, though. I heard such good things, but I've never taken the plunge. 
okay. I it um, Eddie had watched it before, my husband, and I had never watched any of it. But I was like, sure, we have nothing but time right now. Let's do this. <laughs> so it's a good one to binge because I've heard the same thing from other people who said like, oh, I just couldn't get into it when it was on. It's three seasons. They're each like 10 episodes, honestly. So it's an easy binge. Sure, they're hour long nice. episodes. But if you're looking for a new show, yeah. and it has some great great moments overall it's i would agree it's not a perfect show and there's some real dips in it and boring parts but there's some amazing beautiful imagery in that show where is that streaming where did we watch that eddie uh he's on, has his headphones on i think we watched it on netflix okay yeah i do did. i love eva green i'll watch her do anything you know i the thing about her character in the show every time it was like an episode around her like telling her story it was so freaking boring really? but i loved her huh. she is fantastic yeah it's just her story is what really drug it down for me i found it so boring but she was amazing on the show nice. so she's engaging to watch even if the story's boring so okay. i'll throw that out it's not a super recommend but i had a good time with it um, and that lady from Doctor Who, you know, she was one of the blonde Who ladies. Billy Piper. Billy Piper. Thank you so much. You're so good at that. <laughs> um, she's in it as basically the Bride of Frankenstein. That's her character. Are you fucking kidding me? When does she show up? Oh, that's kind of a major fucking spoiler. God damn it. Oh, Sorry, guys. <laughs> you so might have put a said... note in the show notes. She I comes in. She comes in fairly soon. It's definitely in the first season, so maybe right bef- right after you dipped out. And she is amazing. She's so good to watch. And I will just tell you this to try to sell it. And every, anybody who's listening, Dorian Gray is a character as well, who cannot be killed, obviously. And then she is the Bride of Frankenstein. I'm spoiling the shit out of some stuff. <laughs> there is a scene. You're I like it. Good. There is a scene where they are both like, wounded but like they're not dying they're just bleeding because of somebody you know tried to kill them or something both of them but they're fine and they just start waltzing and they're waltzing around this room and they're just leaving this trail of blood all over the room like leaking out from them it's gorgeous (laughs) it was one of the coolest things i've ever seen i'll watch it (laughs) i will too (laughs) so definitely watch that um all right, the last one I wanted to watch, and it's and it's a kind of a apt that we had talked about the Housewives pr- prior to this because this is a show, one of those ones that like I, you wouldn't think it was a me show. It's some dumb shit that I should not be watching, but I love. Are either of you watching The Circle on Netflix? I'm still confused by what this thing is. Yeah. Is this the Tom Hanks movie? Did we talk about this before, Christine? It is not a Tom Hanks movie. What is the circle? Not a Tom Hanks movie. I don't know if we talked about it. And it's not the cool, um, like, indie horror movie with Julie Benz, right? No, it's not that one. This is like 20 questions, a weird 20 questions to try to figure (laughs) out. It's one of those very, it shouldn't be a generic title, but it sounds like a generic title. I watched the Queens Who Like to Watch, Trixie and Cassia, watching the circle. And as we were talking about earlier, how you just want, like, a distilled version of something, I just want to watch. Those two watch it so I don't ever have to. Yeah, that's yeah. a perfect way to view this because it's it's basically Big Brother, but all virtual sort of. So yeah. instead of all these people coming into the same house, they come into the same like apartment building and they each get a different apartment and they only interact online by like chat or group chat. And so because of this, some people catfish and pretend to be other people and 
the f- best thing is when like either like two catfish are like pretending to flirt with each other. Like <laughs> right now there is a gay man pretending to be his best friend who is a bisexual and he's flirting with this woman who is a lesbian who's pretending to be her straight I'm sister. I don't think smart enough to watch this show. <laughs> it's crazy. It's insane. The the Wikipedia synopsis describes it as the concept that anyone can be in the circle. It has been compared to Big Brother and Catfish, as well as the Black Mirror episode Nosedive. Sure. It is. Because <laughs> it's, it's really all about how you interact with people and how you view them, because how they view you. Because at the end of the episode, you have to rank people, and the lowest ranked person that week gets voted out. Like, I'm and still so- investing so much energy in the Jeopardy host saga that's ongoing. Mm. Like, this this seems like it's a, like, a different level that I don't know if I can handle. To be clear, I'm not recommending this show. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is some dumb shit I'm watching. <laughs> and- but people love it, right? Oh, my friend Alex and I, we text about it all the time. We're obsessed. We yeah. he's, he's been finding really? the secret Insta profiles of all the hotties that we like on the show, and we're following them on Insta because that's all we do. We share Insta stories all day, Alex and I, and a lot of it is circle-based lately. We're just circle-jerking all over the place. That's interesting. So I watch a lot of MTV's The Challenge. Um, oh. Jason, Jason, I believe we've talked about CT online. You're the oh. only one that will talk about CT <laughs> I will all day. Oh, fucker. But I've watched, we're watching every season of the challenge and there's 30 of them. So, um, but to get to the point of this, um, they, it's now MTV is the challenge used to be real world versus road, road rules, okay. but now it's the other people. It's amazing. Like, and they take people from amazing race that have been on big brother. So it's just rea- If you're on reality TV, you can potentially be on the challenge. Oh, um, nice. so, in this most recent season, somebody got eliminated or sent home or something. And then this dude shows up, this like kind of built brown haired guy and everybody starts clapping for him. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he's from the circle. And I'm like, all these, all these challenge people know who this guy is because of this Netflix show. I'm like, I don't, I don't get this. That's, it's a weird like re- reality show thing. Like if you're into this, like the, there are people on the circle. There was a woman on a, like last season, I believe, because this is the third season now. There's a woman on last season who was from some British uh, reality show, and like. I can't even remember the name. I'm not even going to try to remember the name, but it was some British reality show. And all of the people in the circle house were like, that's blah, blah from that British reality show. I'm like, you watch a British reality show. What are you not watching, bro? They're in the reality show business. Yeah. Yeah. It's an industry. I, I remember reading about this years ago of like the different, like aspects of reality show like oh yeah people that like almost get like groomed for reality tv and how like oh yeah women who get like laser hair removal because if you're on survivor you can't shave your legs and otherwise like they're they're not going to want to keep the camera on you like just how it has become a career path like an actual legitimate career path is so fascinating because it's only 20 years old yeah you know and it's all these actors who are like probably trying to get legitimate work and the agent's yeah. like, well, you know, you can do bear wench seven or we have reality shows. Yep, or you can go on big brother. Reality. Yeah. Well, and yeah. it's funny because I've been, again, I've been rewatching America's Next Top Model and um, Shea Coulee has a pod from RuPaul's Drag Race has a podcast about America's Next Top Model where she's rewatching it and they have guests on. And it's really interesting when you watch it and you realize like, oh, the show was sort of like, 
sort of ahead of its time in some ways because it was starting the thing of um, the idea was we're going to find the next like high fashion model. But most of the women that were on the show had a hard time in the modeling industry after because they'd go to agents and designers and they'd see them as like, oh, you're a reality, no, go get a reality TV agent, go do um, like road rule, go do Big Brother or the um, Surreal Life. Like you're not going to get a career this way. way like it it took away whatever clout they should have right and it's but but look at it now like the kardashians and how many quote-unquote models start now with the other side of that where today like any of the girls from america's excellent model would have instantly been celebrities with a million followers with endorsements Mm -hmm. and designers would say yes i want you in my show because you you're you're a brand in yourself like it was ahead of its time in that way, just because the, like the nature of it changed. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, they, and it was right on the cusp too. Yep. I mean, because I remember watching early two thousands, kind of right before social media took off. Yeah, yeah, they didn't really have it then. Like, think of when yeah. I mean, I got my, like MySpace. I guess was what early two thousand Facebook. Yeah. I remember distinctly. I got Facebook in like two thousand eight. I think. Okay. Yeah. I think I was an early adopter. I think it was like 2005, I remember, but or six, like right around when it opened up from just colleges to everybody yeah. could be on it. I think I joined then, but it wasn't there wasn't your the clout with yeah. a clay with a clay with a K that came with it. Like if a celebrity was on, because I remember I interacted with one of the guys. Do you remember the show Grounded for Life? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The neighbor. He was the geeky neighbor that was kind of in love with the daughter. And they had been friends for years. Anyway, I don't even remember his name, but he came up on my I, MySpace or Facebook. I think it might have been Facebook. And I was and I messaged him and I was like, hey, are you you? I'm a big fan. I love Grounded for Life. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Thanks so much. And I was like, bye, bye bro. <laughs> and it was just so weird. I could just message him yeah. back then when Facebook came out. We're old guys. I think that's what yeah. we got from this. Yep. But I, so I am old. I am 40 flaw flaw years old and I love the circle. So I think a lot of people mm. think it's a millennial show. It's just a dumb show that's easy to fall nice. into and you care about this dumb drama. And a lot of the people, I think part of the reason I really like it is when I used to watch Big Brother, my favorite thing about Big Brother is when they started to go insane from the isolation, <laughs> just being in this house. And they do like puppet shows at night and they do anything to like entertain themselves. Um, this is that all the time because these people oh. are locked in an apartment by themselves. Yeah. So they're like trying anything to entertain themselves when they're not chatting with people. And it's fun to see people go slowly insane. It's it's the point like Project Runway was, I think, the worst at this of the sleep deprivation like mm. it, when it was clear that they were really torturing these contestants because when you don't let them sleep, people get grumpy and yep. will say like, will snap and will start talking shit because they are tired. Um, so it sounds like it's that from the beginning, which yeah, I mean, that's something. But I also do have to say, it's not mean. Part of the reason I quit ah. big brother was because like, it just got really mean and it got really racist was, too. I think. Yeah being woke you know or like starting to like have this these ideas like uh picking up these ideas from social media and from just conversations and shows about like you know m- minority experiences or black experiences etc i started watching big brother and i'm like oh my god the white people go after the black people every mm-hmm. single time it is always some tribal racial bullshit on big brother and it once just you, once 
notice that on reality TV, you yeah. can't unsee it because yeah. if you go back and watch it, it happens on the challenge. It happens on the amazing race. It, it's all the time. Like, why are you targeting this black dude who's doing so fucking well? Yeah. Like lay off. And, but it's so weird. And, and, and it really like sullies it. You're like, Oh, I, I know too much now. In and a way though, is there, I mean, is there some benefit of being able to look at it that way? Cause you realize like, Oh yeah, that's what the world is like that. When you yeah. see it out of your, like, I, I think mean, obviously like all three of us are Caucasian people and I like, I try very hard to be aware and to be socially responsible and all that. But like, there are times when I'm like, I know that I should not, that I'm, something is probably going on that I'm not seeing. And there's something about, like, when you watch it out of context and you see how bad it is, but you can also look and be like, I think there's racism on RuPaul's Drag Race or whatever show it is you're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, sometimes it's it's important to see that in a quote-unquote reality context because I think it, it – you can see, like, yeah, why do – why is every reality show – it does turn into – the people of color versus the white people. Why, why does that happen? Oh, because it happens everywhere because of society. Yeah. You know, Emily, this show can go three hours because I thought a lot about this. <laughs> and I will only say that when I was watching the show, was it called Hollywood? The one that was set in the 40s? Oh, with, like, yeah. Yeah. The Ryan own... Murphy one. I did not yeah. do it. It was fine. But when I'm watching it, you know, it's very much like uh, painting this picture of there was definitely like racial issues on the show, like, you know, about how Hollywood depicted people of color in the forties, fifties about like how they couldn't star in movies. And there was this code and, but then they make it, they're like, we're going to change that. The whole show is about them casting a black woman in this role that was meant for a white lady. And like, if they can get this woman an Oscar and if it will show in theaters in the South and everybody stands up and does the right thing. And there was a part of me that was like, well, this isn't historically accurate. This didn't happen. Why would you want to do that? But then there was another bigger, much more me part of me that was like this is nice this is really nice to see and it's a lot like um uh schitt's creek yeah where dan levy has said that he created a world without homophobia Mm -hmm. and i'm just like that's nice i like watching this and i think that that's part of the reason i don't enjoy it on shows because like i know it fucking happens it's all the time i don't want to watch it and be entertained by it sure that's fair that's a really, really good point because it still happens on the challenge. Sorry, I just really like the challenge. It still happens on the challenge, but when you go back to an episode, even from like 2015, it's just how egregious it is and how nobody stands up for people. And and, and it, but like on an episode I watched two days ago, it happened. So I mean, obviously it's still happening, and I think it's good to be aware of that. But like Jason said, like I. I also like it when someone defends somebody and says, hey, that's racist. Don't say that. Sure, like, yeah. It's nice to be nice, Emily. Uh, I, I, I normally, yeah. Like, normally I don't want the drama. Like, that's why I like um, the, uh, like, the project run, like the new project runway where it was just like, no, we're just going to be about the fashion. I don't really care about you being catty. Like, if you're catty, you're going to get eliminated if you can't design well. I like that. Yeah. yeah. That's, I'm Here's glad. That's, question. Yeah. Sorry to derail, but I'm really interested because you both watch a lot of the same stuff I do and different stuff. But have you noticed like a lack of forced drama in some of the newer? Well, I mean, RuPaul completely. The last, this the last two or three seasons of Drag Race. But I think the other part to that, and this is very particular to Drag Race, is that it 
the contestants on that show are so savvy about branding and social media <laughs> that they're so afraid to do something that's going to alienate mm-hmm. fans. And like they you saw that with Silky, right? Like how, oh, Silky knew how badly she came across in her season. So then in All Stars, she was like, I'm going to just be really restrained and I'm going to hold back because I don't want to piss people off. And it was boring. And there was no drama in the last two or three seasons of it. So I think that's the bigger part is just more, I think it's less producers and more contestants going into this who have grown up on reality TV and know, understand that they're going to be edited and there's things they can do to not be edited a certain way. Yeah, everybody's a little more savvy now Mm -hmm. about how they're going to be edited and portrayed on a show. And that's something that I was going to say about The Circle. You don't see a lot of negativity on The Circle, and I think that's another reason I like it. Mm. Even, like, people will have their little, like, "Mm, she's coming after me. i got to watch out for this one. You know, the regular thing about, like, getting voted off of any show. Um, But they usually get to me. It's never that bad. It never goes in anything racial. It never goes in anything personal. Um, and I think a part of that is because they're in their separate rooms and they only interact on interact online. And like you, you mentioned the show, the nosedive episode of Black Mirror, people are on their best behavior because they are being judged by hmm. everything they do. And they know that any negative interaction could really bring them down in the rankings. So that helps a lot. But it's fairly overall positive, And I think that's why I like it. Hmm. All right. Cool. All right. And that was my list. I know that was exhaustive. <laughs> no, that was fascinating. I, I enjoyed myself. Sorry to anyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, they're not paying for this. They're getting what we give them. Take it. Take it or leave it. That's what I say as where I take I a drag of a cigarette. On, Christine, where are you watching the challenge? Where is that streaming? Because I'm probably going to. There's a ton of seasons on Paramount Plus. Okay. Um you don't have paramount plus and you'd like to have paramount plus message me after <laughs> i will be messaging you after this show seasons on paramount plus and also for the newer ones we are illegally downloading it because there is no way to watch it without mtv oh it's so cool you're legally downloading those that's yes. very nice to do it yeah. good for you yeah sorry about that editing yeah. hiccup where it sounded like she said illegally that was just my butterfingers <laughs> on the um, garage band thing damn skype this thing mm-hmm. isn't yeah, working it's right so buggy okay. my god you know it's what changing. yeah it looks like it's going to give us another update so we're going to take a quick break when we come back uh which one do we want to dive into first um let's do charade get it out okay. of the way i don't have as much to say even though it's one of my favorite movies okay. i think we can kind of speed through this all right so we will be right back it's a circle, a perfect circle. Well, it's a circle. Yep. It's round. Right. It's so perfect and round. True. This thing that you found yep. down on the ground. Right. It's a circle, my friend. Mm-hmm. Just a ring without end. It's a circle. It's round. It won't make a sound. Up and down and around, right side up, upside down. It's a circle, a circle, a circle, yeah, and round. And now we're going to travel back in time to 1963 for Charade, which is not a musical, even though it seems like it should be, because it is called Charade. And it is directed by Stanley Donan, who did Singing in the Rain, 
Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which I think has perhaps the best musical sequence of all time. Uh, On the Town, Pajama Game, and a movie that we covered here. Christine, do you remember what movie Stanley Donan did that we talked about some time ago? What? Bedazzled. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So I just re- I rewatched the uh, remake of that. I still haven't watched the remake of it. But oh, I it's know. so cute. Yeah, I loved that. I mean, I had never seen it. We we covered it probably like four years ago or something now. It's been a while. But I remember thinking it was delightfully funny. And so Stanley Donan, who was a, like, very much a titan of, uh, I mean, I guess he started directing sometime in, what, the 40s? And he, he had a long and storied career. And again, some, I mean, Singing in the Rain, I would not argue that to not be the best musical of all time. It is definitely up there. Uh, wow, the last thing he did was, um, so his, his career started in... 1949 on the town was his first film which is a very good musical or at least the musical sequences are good um his last credit is 2003 the lionel richie collection oh interesting he did the video for dancing on the ceiling which was probably earlier uh, that was 19 oh it was him doing the video 1986 that then was in that so that is technically his last credit but and he did an episode of moonlighting what a, mm-hmm. what a storied career oh, yeah yeah, no, I mean, a, a very, a great career, a, a very, very good career. Uh, and Charade, I had never seen it. Christine, did, had you seen it before? I had seen it before, but a very long time ago. Okay. And there were huge portions I didn't remember. Okay. Um, so again, we are going to spoil. We are going mm-hmm. to definitely dive into what actually happens. Although I, I don't want to brag and say I called it early, but I kind of did. Uh, oh, although, nice. although it's like kind of the, what do you call it, economy of characters where you sort of have to start doing that. But anyway, sure. so if you have not watched a people, please watch it. It is on Prime, Amazon Prime. And I think it's also like it's technically public domain. So it's probably out. There was some copyright issue when they first, um, like the mm. first round of registering it where it technically wasn't copyrighted. So for years it was out in public domain. So you can find it. It's easy to watch. It's a it's i will save my review of it but go watch it and now let's talk about it jason what happens in this movie well i saw this movie first when i was real little on american movie classics or something like that Mm -hmm. i think it was like 11 and it was one of the first older movies that i watched um it's not black and white but it comes off as a very much black and white movie of that era um so uh, that was that started my love of older films. It was for a little kid to see this and be like, oh, my God, this movie's awesome. It made me realize, like, oh, maybe movies made before yeah. the Goonies are good. Let me start <laughs> looking. And so uh, that's what made me start watching a lot more American movie classics and Neat. other older movies. Um, it's also, I think I saw Pretty Woman before I saw this movie. And... In Pretty Woman, when she first goes to the hotel with Richard Gere, when Julie Roberts first goes, she's watching television, and the sh- the movie that she is watching is Charade, ah. and it actually kind of gives a spoiler in Pretty Woman as mm. to the ending of Charade because it's the very like last scene of the movie. Um, so, and I didn't realize that when I first started watching it. So, so uh, as we got closer, I was a lot like you, Emily. I was like, "Oh, wait! Oh, I know what's going to happen." Yeah, screw this up for me. But it still <laughs> made me love it. Um, so, anyway, in this movie, Audrey Hepburn. I, well, I have to preface this by saying I did not rewatch this movie because I've probably seen this twenty times. It's one of those movies I just rewatched over and over again. Although I'm a little 
little muddy on specifics because it's one of those very multi-layered this person's backstabbing this person mm, yeah. crossing this person and there's a lot of that that goes into it but essentially audrey hepburn is married to a man who she doesn't know a lot about she's in a very unhappy marriage with this man who happens to get murdered mm-hmm. horrifically thrown from a train at his funeral there she's a little she's sad that her husband's dead but she's kind of like well she was gonna divorce him like the day before she finds out he's dead she's like i think i'm gonna divorce him i don't love him i don't really know him yeah and so she was just like well i really feel nothing about this i don't care but i'll go to his funeral at the funeral several weirdos show up Mm -hmm. and they all take turns going up what's that great it's my favorite scene it's It's so good good. it's It's so funny all the different techniques. One holds a mirror under his nose. Another one like stabs him with a pin. They're all making sure this guy is dead. That's what I want to happen at my funeral. Oh, same. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And she could not figure out what's going on. Well, it, she's, I don't remember exactly the machinations and maybe Emily, you can fill us in, but she learns that her husband, they were in a, I want to call it a tauntaun. It's not a tauntaun. What's it called? <laughs> A tauntaun is the animal in the Empire Strikes Back. Yes, I know it's not that. That Luke rides and then Han cuts in half for a sleeping bag. Is it a a tauntine? It's where people, basically, you'll see it a lot of times in movies. People in the military, they have something valuable, like they find gold. And they're like, okay, well, we can't distribute this now or people will be on to us. We're going to bury it and we'll each get a piece of this medallion. There's a word for that? I think it's called a tontine, and in 40 Why years, not? whichever one is still alive is going to be able right. to get it's it. It's the Simpson, Abraham Simpson uh, fight. Was it? Was uh, fighting Hellfish. Fighting Hellfish, yes. It's basically that. She learns that her husband was in a tontine with these gentlemen, and now that he's dead, they're all looking for what they were going to split because it has mysteriously disappeared, right, from its hiding mm-hmm. place. Okay, so that's the premise of the movie, and then uh, and Audrey Hepburn is embroiled in it, mm-hmm. and is she's trying to find it, she's trying to find it with the most annoying little French child I've ever seen. I like, love. God oh man, I, I will say I got so excited in the beginning. I love a shitty kid in movies, oh. and it's her, it's her friend's son. So it's you know this kid is probably like eleven years old, who's very like Stillwell Angel, like you're gonna lose yes. that kind of attitude. <laughs> And a little Augustus Gloop going on, Oh, my God, he's too. so shitty. In the opening scene, he's, like, shooting water guns at strangers. He's a shit. And you're like, oh, that kid. And, like, I wanted more of him, and I wanted more of him to be awful. But he, like, redeems himself at the end, unfortunately. It just reaffirms my belief that British and French children should not be allowed to speak until they're at least 15. Fair. His voice was grating. It's the worst. I hate this kid. I'm sure he's lovely. But oh, the I loved how much I hated him, Yeah. Yeah. So she's trying to find what is missing. And the thing about the movie is, too, you don't really know what it is. You don't know, is it gold bars? Is it just money? Is it something else? So she's trying to figure out what this could be. And then she meets Cary Grant, and he's handsome, and then the movie happens. Mm -hmm. And she also meets Walter Matthau, who is the... Uh, what is his job, technically? Like, the head of the embassy? He's like an American ambassador? Yes. Yeah. He's an American citizen, but he works for the... They're in France, right? Yes. French, yeah, at the French embassy. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who tells her basically all the backstory. 
And so he's the guy that she's kind of reporting to and trying to get the money to. But along the way, she falls head over heels for Cary Grant because he's fucking Cary Grant. What? My gosh. So there's a lot, I guess, I was reading a lot about the background of it. And Audrey Hepburn was, I think, like 33, 34. Cary Grant was 59, I think. And, like, I guess you're just so used to that age gap that it didn't phase me in the least, because I also think of them both as, like, oh, they're old movie stars. I have no idea how, how, what the age, I didn't realize that it was a 20-year gap. And it's part of that, too, is that, like, I, like, Audrey Hepburn, if she's in her 30s in this movie, she feels so timeless that, like, I would have bought that she was 45. Sure. But that she, that Cary Grant was apparently, like, reluctant to do it, because he's like, come on, I'm too old, like this is kind of weird. I'm a little old for this. She's so young. But then, so they kind of adjusted the script so that she is more pursuing him that like she, the whole time she's like, I want to bang you. And he's like, yeah, of course you do. But uh, I want to find my goal first. That's written in, in a really interesting way that like he acknowledges how much older he is multiple times. And I was like, Oh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Like, yes. Some bronze just like old dudes. Like, good, let it happen. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Make, don't, don't make weird movies. So I like that. Yep. And she's also like her character's not rich by any means, but they're they're well to do. You know, they have a nice home, and you know, her and her her husband did well for himself, whatever it was that he did. So she looks older because she's a little more glamorous. Yeah. She's dressed beautifully, and oh she, my god, you know, the a, I love uh, a movie, and this you got this a lot in the sixties and seventies. Where it's like, you know, the opening credits, Miss Hepburn's wardrobe provided by Givenchy. Oh, like, like, yes. It's so like, oh, oh, she's going to wear nice clothing that was custom made for her by one of the best designers of the era. And she does. And she's so fabulous. It's just every line is perfectly stitched. It's just like it it fits her silhouette so well. She's gorgeous through the whole movie. And to to that matter, everybody is. Everybody looks great. Well, you have sexy young James Coburn. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, George Kennedy is looking good in this movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll buy that. I'll take that. I'd even (laughs) go as far as to say Walter Matthau. He was a little daddy-ish and like he has a great voice. I, I I came to know Walter Matthau, and I think a lot of people in our generation did from Grumpy Old Men. Mm-hmm. Like, I might have seen him in other things growing up, but that was the definitive Walter Matthau. Yeah, Dennis know, the Menace was probably my Walter Matthau. Uh, that, yeah, around that area where yeah. he's like a cranky, cantankerous old man. But, like, he's not young in this movie. He's probably still in his 50s. But to see him even that young, I'm like, oh, he was a handsome guy. Mm-hmm. He had a commanding presence. I see why yeah. he was a star. Yeah. Yeah, taking Pelham one, two, three. He's so hot. Yeah, I'll buy it. I've never seen that, but I I think you'd like it. Oh, you would. It it has this like I was reminded of that movie a lot watching this actually, and not just because of Mathau. I think because it's that similar energy. It's that very like there's not so much a mystery in that movie, but like you know that there is a crime that has to get that has to get resolved. And it's all moving towards it, but in between a very efficient storytelling are constant great one-liners and great... And that's the thing that I think... um, I've said this before, like, the 40s was probably my biggest block in terms of movies. Like, I've just, Mm. growing up, saw the least movies made in the 40s. And I started the last couple of years watching a lot more of those movies, of those fast-talking, brassy dame-type movies. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, like, when you watch them, you're like, okay, they don't always work. But man, it's the it's the dialogue. It is the writing and it is the delivery 
that makes a script that is probably double in size what a comedy might be today because it's so quick and it's mm. witty and you believe that these people are that quick and witty. And I think that's what I loved about this immediately. And I did love this within the first like 10 minutes. I'm like, Oh, this movie is a joy. Like, because I could just, I don't care what else is happening. I just want to watch Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn flirt in yes. this, in this sexy, like flirty way where they're not, fl- where they're insulting each other as they flirt. It's so sexy. And I loved it. And this movie moves at a clip, too. Everything oh, yeah. about it moves at a clip, and including their relationship. Like, they just meet, and they are fucking in it. Like, yeah. bam, bing, boom. <laughs> we are doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm helping you solve a mystery. We're going to possibly make out. I'm showering in your room. Like, they're just in it from the beginning. Yeah. I love that part, too. Can we talk about that shower scene? Oh, it's like, so cute. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I have a quick question before the shower shower scene. Is this, does this predate sarcasm? You know how sarcasm wasn't really a thing? Hmm. That's a good That's point. Fascinating. Back and forth, tete a tete was like, today that would be written as very sarcastic and, and like biting and dry. But here it's like punny and in, in exactly all the things we already said about it. It's, it's really charming and sweet. And you don't really get that anymore. And I think it's just everything is just sarcastic when we're mm. trying to go for that vibe. It's sad because this is fun and endearing. Yeah. You know, that's such a great point, Christine, because, like, I haven't enjoyed a lot of comedies in the past 10, 15 years. And I think a big part of it is a lot of it's just sarcasm and mean-spirited. The characters are mean to each other. And I just don't – I'm like, why are you friends if you obviously hate each other? Why is this happening? Why are you going on all these, like, bachelor parties if you douchebags hate each other? Sorry, I shouldn't use the word douchebag. And what's funny, I think of that with um, Seinfeld. Like, where I always find something that nobody ever acknowledges on Seinfeld is that, oh, the characters are awful, they're all terrible people. Like, Like, okay, fair, but you know what? They actually really take care of each other. Mm, yeah. Like, think, like, the, this, the, okay, Jerry Seinfeld steals a loaf of bread from an old lady. Why did he do that? To help his friend George. Like, right. there's that aspect to it of this, like, cynicism, but there is actually a connecting, there, there is a heart somewhere in there. It's just not in the same place. And I think with this, like, I mean, that is such a brilliant, I think, way of analyzing, like, the humor of this. It's that, man, like, when you have that sort of, like, sassy repartee, which I think of, like, I say His Girl Friday is probably a really good um, example of that, where the entire movie, and that's also Cary Grant, right, where it's mm-hmm. um, it's two people who have so much sexual chemistry and all of their conversations are combative. Everything is a verse, 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 um, one upping, I'm right, you're wrong. But yet, like, you know, you're like, oh, oh, but this is so hot. And I, rem- I always remember thinking, like, of that through the years. Because, I mean, that's that's everywhere. Like, at what point in, re- like, realistically, when these two characters get together, like, and, and I think that's what I really liked about this one, it never felt like it would stop. Like, even when they know each other's secrets, and we'll spoil that in a minute, like, it's like, oh, no, they're still going to have that same back and forth quick conversations. Like, that's one of the things that's so sexy, I think, about um, when you talk about, like, actors or characters having chemistry. It's not always that they look good together. Like, there are plenty of, like, look at the Twilight movies. You can look good together and still not have sexual chemistry. 
but it's the like, oh, there is a sexiness about you have the same brain that I do, or your brain can bounce off of mine that I find really hot. Yeah, the, every conversation is foreplay yeah. in, this, in this movie. It's so great, but it's romantic foreplay. Yeah. It reminds me of that Sex in the City episode where Carrie gets so frustrated because, you know, uh, what's his, the, the woodworker whose name I Aiden. forget. Aiden. Yeah, Aiden um, won't won't bang her after they've been dating a couple times. And he finally says, like, I, I don't know, I was kind of being romantic. I wanted to wait a little bit. And she has to write on a post-it, romance. Like, oh, shit, I forgot romance exists. And that's what this is. It's sexy, but I don't – do they even do it in this movie? We don't see I don't, them. I mean, I don't <laughs> – unless there was on the cutting room floor was the, maybe, you know, like, full penetration, full penetration scene. <laughs> scene. I don't think so. But – I don't think these characters ever even have sex or no. I mean, it's, it's not. It's like, also 1963, so there's like you can suggest things, but this was still going to be a pretty mainstream movie where there is no, um, there's no like cut to the next day. Like there's sure. jokes about like, oh, I was sleeping. Oh, he was sleeping too. It's like yeah, but we've seen that they were in different rooms or whatever it was. Right. Yeah, but it's like that's why it's so sexy. It's because it's yeah. all foreplay, you know. Yes. Like not touching is hotter than touching. Well, and like in perfect uh, description of that, the orange game. Yes. When they go to a bar, they play a game that you might have played at like a um, summer camp corporate. Yeah, or like a corporate like uh, icebreaker uh, yeah. event. We had to do it one time. It sucks. I hate it. And you're watching it but, now. You're like COVID, COVID. People you, you don't know breathing all over you. Right. But they they basically have to pass an orange under their chin from like they have to hold it and pass it from person to person. And the physical comedy in that scene from Cary Grant <gasps> is just beautiful. Yeah. Where he has to pass it to a, a lady who has very ample bosom, and he has a hard time getting to her neck, and it's falling all over, and he's not trying to use his hands. It's beautiful. The yep. movie is worth it just for that scene. Yeah. Yeah, I'd What agree. a treasure he was. God, what a great person. Great actor. Handsome man. Yeah. Really? Day is the day is well, long. Here's the question. Was he gay or was he bi, or is it like nobody really knows, but everybody really knows? Like, what? what, what what's the consensus on that? Canonically, for me, he's just gay. But, mm-hmm. like, I just want him to be, I think. Sure. I think that's one of the times I just want to allow it. But I honestly have no evidence of that or proof. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, he had a wife. But, I mean, who didn't in this era? Um, come on, I had a wife. Exactly. Then. But, like, it, it's, I think, like, I was reading an interview with his daughter, who was, you know, for probably a lot of reasons, even if he was gay, maybe wouldn't have said it. Um, but she, But something she had said was, like, my dad was just comfortable that he he had no problem with men finding him sexy. He was comfortable with men. He was comfortable with women. And I think there there's something about that that also is, is just incredibly sexy. Maybe he was the world's first gay baiter. Maybe he invented <sighs> gay baiting back in the day. Oh, yeah. Because we hate it. it now, but it's hot when he does it. Well, and because he, like, I mean... I don't know, it's, it's a different era, and, like, to know what it was to grow up then where you're, for, especially for a man, where you're probably around a lot more um, non-heterosexuals uh, than you would be in any other field, mm-hmm. where you maybe have more freedom to do it, but also have the complete worry of, oh, but nobody can ever know. Right. Um, but also just being around, um, like, in an era where most people didn't, or like, 
didn't know gay people or didn't know people that weren't, you know, um, in uh, heterosexual relationships, mm-hmm. that when you're in Hollywood and when you're presumably around more people that are out, that you'd be more comfortable with it, right? And there were avenues, too. It's on the show that you didn't watch Hollywood. I mean, it goes really deep into yeah. the gas station, how there sure. were systems set up for people who were in that situation where they, they're like, you know, we know there's thousands of these people. Let's make it easier. So there were like escort agencies and men who could find you men so it could be done life life finds a way (laughs) (laughs) i just i really want to think of carrie grant just like banging everybody that's that's where i land on it and especially audrey hepburn they had great chemistry they They were so cute together yeah (sighs) because i think that he most people when they think of carrie grant i think they think of katherine hepburn Mm -hmm. because they were bringing up baby together and maybe and a few other things i believe i can't name films um but i think that people think of them working together a lot but he and audrey were just made to be on screen yeah. together they're both beautiful both charming witty quick it's they're adorable yeah christine what, what are what's your experience with audrey hepburn oh i love audrey hepburn yeah. i think she's very talented and i'm still so surprised when i watch something she's in and i go like wow she was really good she, yeah huh? yeah sometimes i don't get it and the perfect yep. example of this is, is Cary Grant um <laughs> this is the first mo- movie I've seen where I've been like huh Cary Grant right because I mostly yeah. know him from Hitchcock and um, okay. uh, I haven't I don't I don't get it like I'm like this guy really what, mm. what are we doing everybody mm. Fair. Fascinating. but um but this I got it this I got it I thought he was funny I thought he was he was he was impossible not to watch, mm. and I was like, "Oh, this is what he's like in other movies." I, I don't know. I have to go find out. Yeah, bringing up baby is a great one. I definitely recommend that. His Girl Friday is the one that I would go to as I, I think. What did is he in um, Philadelphia Stories? Is that the one I didn't like. But His Girl Friday. No, that is Tom Hanks. That's the Tom Hanks movie you're thinking of. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Wait, which one was he? His Girl Friday or Philadelphia? I can't. How do you spell Philadelphia? He was in. No, he's not in his... Philadelphia Story. But oh. His Girl Friday is the super quick, like the epitome of the quick talking 40s romantic zinger. And I thought he is magnetic in that and just goes so like it is an athletic performance to me all right Uh, noted christine this is kind of a diversion but i have to bring up i know i've mentioned you watching um bojack horseman several times Uh, yeah and have you got around to it yet i watched the first two episodes and then i don't know what happened i think maybe my house started Okay, I'm, I I won't force it. I just find it beautiful and a work of art. But one reason, one reason I brought that want to bring this up is Paget Brewster, <gasps> one of my favorite actresses. I just love everything. She's amazing, gorgeous, talented, funny. She's a big voice actress too, and she does a voice on here, and it's 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 very his girl much, Friday, yeah, exactly. It's a very fast talking, high waisted, hat wearing woman who's trying to get to the bottom of this story. Jack, do you hear me? You know, she rips her earring off before she talks on the phone. But remember, I have a wedding to go to, a wedding that I'm in because I'm the bride. But first, I have to solve this mystery. It, it is it is a remarkable vocal performance. It's amazing. I recommend watching Bojack just for that yeah. it's in a later season but she's amazing yeah. on it yeah and after i watched his girl friday i was like oh wow that is brilliant so we didn't we should get into some spoilers yes about it. so 
you're gonna have to talk me through this because, like I said, it's been a while. But I, right. I do know that this annoying little piece of shit lets <laughs> Audrey Hepburn. He gives her some clue to realize that. Well, first, backing up a little bit, he had a a, a satchel with him, mm-hmm. and there's nothing in it like that would be worth it's right. like a million dollars. It's like his comb, ID, yeah, comb, yeah. There, and like, is there a book of stamps? There's a letter. A letter. A letter that has three stamps on it that they don't, you know, but there's nothing in the letter or there's an envelope, but there's nothing in it. So that, it can't be that. And long story short, it turns out that the stamps are what's so valuable. Yeah. Um, They're those rare misprinted stamps that are worth millions. And that's what they've been after. And the way they find that out, again, little shitty kids sell, like, is at a little market and sells the stamps to a stamp collector who, of course, is like, whoa, look what I did today. And they're freaking out because they're like, oh, my God, you just sold $250,000 worth of stamps for a bag of toys. But they find the stamp collector and that scene. Um, Christine. Hi, did you know that I would love that? Yes. I, I just said that, like, the, this, as that scene unfolds, I'm like, this is such an interesting choice in this movie and it is so warm and beautiful. And I did. I'm like, I bet Christine really liked that scene. Some Christine shit. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this dude is like, I guess give me these stamps. And here's some stamps that are worth 10 pounds. And bye, kid. And then they go and say, hey, dude, you have my incredibly expensive stamps. And he was like, yeah, I figured you'd come yeah. and ask them. Here you go. And then he says, it was nice to just own them for this long. Yeah, and he's like, he's telling her exactly what they are. So it's actually a good thing that the kid did it, because otherwise they wouldn't necessarily know the value. And he's just very, he's like, ma'am, I'm not a thief. I'm not taking these. These are yours. Uh, this is fine. This is this is what I do and what I love. And it's just like, oh, like what a nice man. Yeah. <laughs> In this movie with so many other cats. This guy reminded me of something out of like a, almost a Harry Potter movie or... Yeah. You know, like that character, like he'd be some weird like elf old or something. Old man bloopers or something. No, just you know, the one you know who he reminded me of? I was so high when I watched this, but um, he reminded me of the old guy from The NeverEnding Story. The guy <gasps> yeah. that gives the kid the book. Yeah, totally. so weird, but I was like, I don't know why, but I want to know about this guy's shop. Yeah. Who else he's talking to? Like, yes. yeah, give me like a side spinoff of his adventures in stamp collecting and I'm there for it. Yeah. Oh. oh. Yeah, I, I love that you loved that, Christine. That's so sweet. Just be nice to be nice. Mm-hmm. It was wholesome. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. So then there's a so after this, they discover this. There's a big like hoopla. Everybody trying to get him and everybody trying to kill her, right? Well, yeah. Well, because then we find out who everybody is. Because by this point, yes. the three men that have come to the funeral, Ned Beatty, um, James Coburn, and the other guy. Oh, shit. I forgot Ned, Be- Ned uh-huh. Beatty. Ned Beatty. I forgot that. How'd you forget wow. Ned Beatty? Remember I said he's he's not terrible looking in this movie. No, uh, that no, that was not Ned Beatty. That's George. George. George, George Kennedy. George, Wait. George Kennedy. Oh, I did, aren't they the same person? <laughs> yeah, basically they are. I, I will never realize that they are two different people. Wait. So George Kennedy. Which one's in Naked Gun? George Kennedy. So what's Ned Beatty in? Deliverance. I know that. Roseanne? He was Dan's dad on Roseanne. George Kennedy? I thought George Kennedy was his dad. I can't tell them apart. Cannot tell them apart. Wow. I so that's your face blindness. Oh yeah. we have that in common. Yep, we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. All right, so George Kennedy. Uh, yeah. it, uh not terrible looking George Kennedy in this movie with a hook. Right? He's got mm-hmm. hook hands. Oh right. 
So you have him. And with accessories, we should say, too. Doesn't he, like, unscrew the hook and he, like, yeah. puts something else on? Which is totally what I would do if I had a hook. Yeah. He has, like, a flamethrower. Oh, my God. I would have a tweezer. I could constantly tweeze my eyebrows. It would be amazing. Yeah. But, I mean. Am I, am I misremembering that? He does have accessories, right? Well, there's, a, like, a pseudo-reveal where they uh, Audrey Hepburn finds a suitcase and at first she thinks, so this is the money. He has the money. Because they're essentially eating themselves at that point. Like, well, every, the bad guys have the money. And then they all come in and they're like, oh, here, it's a suitcase hidden. What's in here? And it's just another hook. And like a blind case. <laughs> it's his going out <laughs> hook. At one point he does keep <laughs> a gun in it. He like, yeah. he like, just a gun in it. And I think to myself, is, would he be able to shoot that? That's a really good question. You are full of good questions tonight, Christine. <laughs> These are fingers. Wow. But they all get knocked out. Uh, even James Coburn, who's like wildly kind of sexy and like tall and stuff in this movie. Yeah, kind of sexy. Did you see his suit? Oh, he could wear a suit well. Yeah. Is he, is he the one that falls off the building? Or is that George Kennedy? That's George Kennedy. Okay. No, George Kennedy gets drowned, doesn't he? Yeah, but he falls off the building and apparently... Right, right, but then he's okay and then he gets drowned. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 got yeah. it. Okay, yeah. yes. But then got he does drown very awkwardly yeah. in a small bathtub. He's a very big man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how, how does James Coburn go down? Remind me of all this. I don't remember. I don't either. I love this movie, but it's I'm a little high right now. And I don't remember all this. <laughs> Because we watched this less than a year ago. I know I, Eddie had never seen it, so I made him rewatch it again or watch it with me. So we watched it not that long ago. I was like, oh, I don't need to watch this. I've seen it so many times. But then, like, the sequence of events, I'm having a hard time remembering. Okay, okay. We don't um, we don't see his death, but we remember he. they find him dead in the room, and he has spelled out the name Dial with his yes. finger. So at this point, we think that Cary Grant is the – is – uh, the brother of one of the guys that was in this Tauntaun. And we should go back and and say that Cary Grant has been changing his name. Yes. Like when he first meets Audrey Hepburn, he he's was like, oh, Peter, I'm... then he's Alex or Adam. And he, and he keeps like coming clean with her. He's like, okay, actually, my name's not Peter. I'm actually this person, blah, blah, blah. Right. And no, then I'm actually his friend... brother. Yeah. Yeah. Then farther in the movie, so he's like changed. He's admitted several times. Okay, I was lying to you before, but I'm 100% being honest with you mm -hmm. right now. Which is again like very, and she just keeps going with it. Like she's not completely dumb. Like she is not totally believing yeah. him. She has a lot of points where she's like, I think it's you. I think you're the killer. Um, and she, for the most part, is doing the right thing. She is making calls where she should. She mm -hmm. is very clever about hiding and kind of playing with other people. But she is, like, the – she is attracted to Harry Grant, and she is not quite willing to not believe him. Like, yes. she wants him to be telling the truth. She wants him to be the good guy in all of this. Um, and she gets to a point where she's like, oh, no, it's you, because uh, James Coburn spelled your name. And I now know what I have to do. I have the stamps. I'm going to call the embassy. And Walter Matthau is going to come and save me. And this is going to be over. And I'm sorry, Cary Grant. We're not going to get to bang after all, even though I really wanted to. But twist. Which I, I remember at what point I'm like, I bet it's Walter Matthau. And it's Walter mm -hmm. Matthau. 
I didn't see it coming. I never see it coming. I don't usually, and I wasn't looking for it, like, but it was one of those things where it started, like, even the very beginning when they show him in the embassy, I'm like, man, this embassy looks really cheap. Like, this doesn't look like it's really his office. And then by, like, another scene or two later where you realize, like, well, who is it going to be? It's either her or it's Cary Grant, but at this point it doesn't seem like it's him. And it doesn't seem like it's her. Like, I feel like it would have been a, like, I would have known that this movie's twist was that it was Audrey Hepburn, if it was Audrey Hepburn. Um, so at a certain point, I'm like, well, who's, la-? I'm like, Walter Matthau. Oh, yeah, Walter Matthau, that guy. Well, yeah, and- character stops making sense at some point. Yeah. Like, like, why is, why do they keep going back? Like, he seems so superfluous that it, you were just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And then selfishly, I did not want it to be Audrey Hepburn because yes. I was like, no, she's good and she's sweet yep. and she trusts her instincts and I like her. No. Yeah. And she weighs 87 pounds. I mean, I wouldn't Hepburn. think that she'd be able to do this. Yes. And But it's interesting. It's almost it's one of those movies that when you watch it back, you're like, oh, because when she goes to see him at the U.N., oh or at not the UN the the embassy like he comes out of a different door yep. and and he meets her at lunchtime and long story short you know he's the killer and it turns out like he snuck into somebody's office and was like oh <laughs> Which yeah, I love. I'm this I'm this person <laughs> yeah like how do you like my kids they're cute in that picture right yeah and it, you're, you look back and you're like oh that does make sense it all comes yep. together now yeah so he was that is also why he was never with any of the others mm-hmm. because they couldn't see him yeah he couldn't be around anybody and then yeah. we get one more twist because and this is also like a good like audrey hepburn kind of proves herself as a good person because they you know um Cary Grant kills Walter, Walter Matthau. She has the stamps. And Cary Grant's like, all right, let's go. Let's go uh, live life as millionaires in the 60s. And she's like, nope, this is the government's money. This is not my money. We have to bring it to the embassy. And yeah. he's like, oh, come on, come on. And he keeps like, he he's like, does the thing where he's like, one more chance, let's go. She's like, nope, nope, we're going in. And she goes in and she's like, okay, I'm here for the ambassador. And who's the ambassador? Motherfucking Cary Grant. Yes. <laughs> it's. And it's that's the scene that was in Pretty Woman where she realizes uh, yeah, that's him and she kisses him and she's like, I love you, Peter, James, Stephen, whatever <laughs> your name is. And it's just the perfect ending. It's yeah. so adorable again at the end. Like it's because it's like it works. It totally works. Cause you're like, okay, that yeah, that that can all track. He doesn't technically do anything. Like, it's not one of those, like, oh, in hindsight, the undercover cop was actually a terrible person. Like, no, no, no. Like, he was he was above board. Like, she yeah. and she was pursuing him. He was not pursuing her too hard. So it all, it all works. And I have to ask both of you, did either of you ever watch the remake with Tendue Newton and Mark Wahlberg, The Truth About Charlie? <gasps> That's a remake of this movie? Yeah. Uh, no. Different title, but it's it's the same story. Wait, who is Mark Wahlberg in this? He is Cary Grant. Can you believe it? No, 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 I could almost see Tendue Newton. She's charming enough. I and mean, she's, she's got, like, and her. she also, but if you were thinking of actresses that most, like, physically call to mind Audrey Hepburn, I feel like she'd be, like, right up the list. Like, oh, yeah, because she is so, she's very slight, but she has such a strong presence. She is, yes. be, she can wear anything and look like draw dropping in it like i could yeah she's she's quick she's got a british ish accent like yeah i'd mm-hmm. go for it i get why they would cast her it just I, I watched part of it on cable one time it's just empty there was no chemistry no charm <sighs> Ted Levine is in it 
Oh man, I'm I'm I oh fuck, I gotta watch this. I'm too curious not to. This came out. I I I'm like, why do I feel like I've seen it? I definitely haven't seen it, but I definitely remember the marketing for it. Yeah, this is like 2003, I it's believe. Jonathan Demi. Oh, is it? Yeah, that. that's crazy. Yeah, so I think they try to lean a little too heavy into the drama, whereas Charade was there great suspense moments and it's very it's almost noirish where it's kind of where it's kind of like the sting you never know who's doing mm-hmm. who and who's double crossing and you can't quite figure it out which is fun but it's also light and adorable and charming and they have great chemistry and they lacked that in the remake i'm even looking at the poster because uh, i just looked it up on just watch it's rentable but it's not free anywhere and i'm not spending money on a mark Wahlberg movie <laughs> no. uh the poster is very like Oh god! Like it, it's her looking like sad. It's Mark Wahlberg with his meat hand clutching her tiny arm, where you could see the indents of his fingers on her arm, and he is staring at the camera. And he's wearing guys. Hold, hold s- settle down for a minute. He's wearing a turtleneck. Mm, he's. Very, I'm looking at this photo now. He's very Steve Jobs trying <sighs> to be. Yeah. I can't. And I, I guess it's and set in Paris camera. again, which I feel like if you're. So does oh god does no oh he has a beret in a lot of these photos what a no ass. no he doesn't <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness <laughs> oh. oh god it's crazy is there, there uh, shots of him eating a croissant yeah right he has that little pencil thin mustache and black and white shirt oh she's wearing a little scarf oh I so, like now I'm kind of obsessed with just screenshots of this movie. Are we covering that next, Emily? I think <laughs> we have to. Yes. Yeah, Do we like... have a choice? <laughs> so but long story short watch charade before you dip into the truth about charlotte charlie i love charade i'm so glad we got to cover it one of my all-time favorite movies it's so good and I'm, i love talking about it with you guys um, and i'm glad you liked it it seems like oh i loved yeah. it i liked it yeah okay good um two, two like little things that i thought just i wanted to mention that i thought were great uh one is a line early on in the movie that her friend uh says to her when um, Audrey Hepburn's just kind of complaining about like, oh, I'm unhappy. I want to get divorced, everything. And her friend says, it is infuriating that your unhappiness does not turn to fat. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think she's like eating because Audrey Hepburn eats a lot in this movie, which I appreciate. Although it's also one of those like, man, you're right. Fuck you, Audrey Hepburn. You're one of those women that can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another like scene that just had me laughing out loud, the funeral, which everything about this funeral is very funny. And when um, it's just Audrey Hepburn and her friend, and they're saying how like oh nobody nobody showed up to the funeral except for the police inspector who's sitting in the back corner, and her friend's like oh well at least he knows how to behave at funerals, and it cuts to him clipping his nails. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's looking down, and it looks like he's sullen and respectful, and he's just actually clipping his nails. Yeah. Uh, Christine, I have a question for you on this because a quote I have seen floated around on this movie. Um, <laughs> is that it is the best Hitchcock movie that Hitchcock never made. Mm. For real, for real. Um, it, especially when they're up on the roof with that sign. Mm. Oh, yeah. I was like, this feels like everything. It feels like To Catch a Thief. It feels like Vertigo. It feels like North by Northwest. And, and I just wish, I, uh, maybe I need to rewatch it, but I just wish Hitchcock got this, the same charismatic performance mm. as I, Grant that I saw here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't maybe- know... Maybe it's me who's wrong. Maybe he is charismatic. Well, I mean, it's it's also very possible that he doesn't work 
as well, certainly for you and maybe for others, in... I mean, to me, the Cary Grant I've seen has always been in comedies, in romantic comedies yes. one way or another. And he's great at that. Um, Hitchcock, there are, I guess, in like most of the movies he's been in, and I don't know which ones I've seen and which ones I haven't, he can be, there are scenes of humor, certainly, but for the most part, like, those are pretty serious. Right? Is, he, is he in Vertigo? No, that's no. why it should be Stuart. Okay. Um, he's in Northside Northwest. And I think I might, my head might be up my ass, but he might be in To Catch a Thief. He's in Rear Window, right? That's him? No. no. <laughs> nope, that's Jimmy Stewart. Oh, so never mind. I've never seen any Hitchcock Harry Grant. <laughs> what do well, I know? That, that's what you said is very true, Emily, but there are also just some actors you just don't get for one reason or another. Oh, yeah. Like a, a, a contemporary one for me is Ryan Gosling. I just don't get it. I've never mm. cared for him. I don't dislike him. I nothing Ryan Gosling. And so there's some actors that just, like, aren't for you. I totally get it if he's not for you, but I'm glad he was in this movie. He was for me in this movie, yeah. and maybe it's because he was old. Yeah. Can, can we say that? How hot and old was he? 59. <laughs> well, he's so comfortable, and I think that's – I think this is one of the keys of mo- what separates, like, sometimes, like, an actor from a movie star – and especially of this era, and I think that's what was so mag- magnetic about Audrey Hepburn, was that she's a great actress. Like, she can do, you look at her range, and she can do so much. And she can, I mean, um, Wait Until Dark versus My Fair Lady are two totally different characters, totally different performances. She, you know, she was a, a theater actress. Like, she had the skill set of acting. But so did many other women in comparable parts. But it is this quality that she has on screen where i mean the camera loves her she looks great but she is also just the way she carries herself just you're just there you you know you're not you don't identify with her you're never going to be audrey hepburn but you want to watch her do everything and i think um there is something about that confidence that i think carrie grant has in this where it's sort of like, to compare him to a contemporary, like George Clooney, I think, kind of has that now when he is in, when you see George Clooney, like, on a talk show or in a comedy, and there's just an ease about him where it's like, George fucking Clooney has nobody to impress. When he's just doing his thing, he is comfortable, and he is, there is a sexiness about him because he is a, like, successful, confident man. And I think that's what I get from Cary Grant here. Yeah. I agree with that. And, you know, I've had this conversation recently. There's some uh, Emily and well, yeah, you too, Christine, I guess you both are in the same boat where you will appreciate some like kind of shitty horror movies because we appreciate the genre. You know, we'll watch movies and I always tell people I'll recommend something and then they watch it. They're like, that was stupid. Why did you recommend it? And my answer is always like, it's really good if you picture it as a different movie. (laughs) Like if if there was a competent director and like charming actors that could carry a film, this would be a great movie. And I know that might sound stupid, but like even this movie, if it didn't have Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn in it, having just oozing charisma and sex appeal, it might I, it probably wouldn't be one of my favorite movies. Just the choices that they make as actors and their natural charm goes yeah. a long way to it make this one of my favorites. It is a combination in this case because I think this is a great script. But having mm-hmm. said that. It's a great script because of the timing, because these jokes and this interplay is delivered really well. Right. I can't picture Mark Wahlberg doing that with anybody. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 
that that this is actually a good movie. It could have failed so easily because, like I said, I didn't watch a lot of before this movie. I didn't watch any old movies. I was like, those aren't for me. That was before I was born. But when you see something like this, you're like, oh, people were charming even yeah. in the '60s and the <laughs> '50s, and there was comedy and sex appeal. So it's if you haven't dipped your toe into this era, and especially this noirish era, of course, yeah. kind of, or this mystery. This is a great one to get you started. And it's good. It's a good, yeah, it's a good starting point. Cause like somebody like me who is not a big noir fan, uh, and I can be kind of turned off by a lot of that mystery. This is such a nice thing. Cause it, there's a, a, like the story and the mystery are there, but it's so charming and entertaining the entire th- way yeah. through. And it's certainly not noir. I'm using that yeah. word, but it doesn't match any of the identifiers to, mm-hmm. to be a noir film. But it kind of has that feel. It's a mystery. It's like, right. it's a mystery, yeah. I guess is, is a better term for it. But I just think of everything from that era as a noir film from the 60s. And it's not. But this is the closest that I think I want to go to. Because, <laughs> like, I don't want a Maltese Falcon. And I don't care about, you know, oh like God. these alcoholic I detectives. I watched a Maltese Falcon recently. It's not good. No, it doesn't no, seem it's like It's so boring. Movie. It's very boring. And, yeah. And whereas this is just charming and light. And even when there's like peril and danger, it's immediately, you feel a little good because Audrey Hepburn's in a very pretty dress. So. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Those gloves. There's like black gloves at one point. Like yeah. a must-colored coat. I was, I was done. It was amazing. Uh, like you, like you said, Emily, you'll never like liken yourself to Audrey Hepburn. Whereas like some actresses are the girl next door. Audrey Hepburn is right. like, the lady from the mansion across town that you haven't actually met. I got watching Melissa McCarthy in Nine Perfect Strangers. I'm like, Ooh, okay. If I do resort wear, I could pull that off. Like that's, that's where I go. But yeah, Yeah. you're watching Audrey Hepburn anything. And it's a fast, like this is a topic for like another, I think whole series of podcasts because there's an argument to be made that Audrey Hepburn was like, not her, because I think in, like everything I've read about her is that she was actually a really good person. She lived a very positive life. She did a whole lot for charity, all of that. Yeah. Um, but the the idea of Audrey Hepburn becoming the beauty standard was kind of the start of like skinny, skinny, skinny being the measurement of beauty. Like, mm. the, like if you kind of track her success. Because before her, like, the sex symbols were more Marilyn Monroe's, more, like, bug, more curvier, more, like, fuller figured. And then you had Audrey Hepburn, who was a petite, very, very, very waifish woman, which was not what people thought of when they thought of models or who yeah. wears these dresses. Like, and... When- Twiggy was tw- Twiggy. Was Twiggy came right after Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, Twiggy was basically yeah. like the same era. It was oh, there's something here, and then it was oh, here's Twiggy, who does not look like the supermodels of the time, who with the right eye, um, photographer said, wait, we've got something here, and it's not their fault by any means. And I actually love both women, and I think they're, they're both fascinating in different ways. Mm-hmm. But the fact that their look became what just the fashion industry and the beauty industry really gravitated towards like was really damning for a very long yeah. time but I, I think it needs to be said too that audrey hepburn very publicly spoke out about her anorexia yeah. as yep. well and her eating disorders through the mm-hmm. years so uh, even this yeah the, the standard of beauty it was 
she, always she came with with a that. price yeah 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 and again i'm not like as people i don't think it's their fault in any way but it's it's kind of fascinating to be like oh like when you can pinpoint a person who had such a big effect on something like audrey hepburn did change the way beauty and fashion were done in the 20th century and that's well, that's crazy it, it's you can liken it in, in the modern sense to like kim kardashian totally I mean, I don't like that, but like we, the, the ideal shape of the female form has changed yep. largely in part because of that family. Yeah. Slowly. yeah. And so the body type and also every, filters on your, oh, sure. your pictures now, like the online media does not, there's a, I, I've been watching a lot of YouTube and I watch one YouTuber. She's basically just a, she comments on things on the internet and like Instagram photos and fails of the week. And her name is Charlotte Dobre. Shout out to Charlotte Dobre. But she always does like Instagram versus reality of people removing their filters and, or where it shows Photoshop. And she always hammers in. She was like, Instagram is not real life. Yeah. And the Kardashians are to blame for that mentality of yeah. looking gorgeous yep. on Instagram all the time and these influencers. Yeah. And again, like, it's not, uh, you, like, it, yes, but it's also like, oh, no, but the world allowed that to happen. Like, and, yeah. and I mean, teenage girls allowed that to happen and, and beauty companies did. Like, and, but it is, like, it's this this difference between um, an entire industry backing something like that and then realizing, like, oh, and there was really kind of one person that just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And in the case of the Kardashians, were were smart and figured out how to leverage this and did everything they could to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's – man, this world, can you know? I, can I make a, a, a – take a vote to move on to the next film? Because this leads into fair. a lot of things oh God, I want to so talk about. There's so much we can say about just about yeah. beauty standards. So, yeah. All right, uh, we will take a quick break. When we come back, we are... Oh, did Christine, did you have any more to close out on Charade? No, we talked about the stamps, so I'm good. That was important, okay. yes. <laughs> I love you. We'll be back to talk about identity. Jan. I got a planet from Poland, but none from Sudan or from Fiji or Uzbekistan. And now, moving forward in time, but back from airtime to 2003, is that right? The yeah. same year as The Truth About Charlie. Oh, the golden age of cinema. 40 years <laughs> after Charade, we get identity. Again, there is no way we're not spoiling this movie because the twist yeah. is such a big part of it. Uh, directed by James Magnold, who... Uh, this was one of his first films, and he's he's an, like he's had such an odd career in some ways. Um, so Copland, I, oh my gosh, I, I did not realize what he did before these movies. He did Copland, which was the big failed, uh, Sylvester Stallone Oscar bid, Girl Interrupted, Kate and Leopold, mm-hmm. then Identity, 
Walk the Line, mm-hmm. 310 mm-hmm. to Yuma, Wolverine and Logan. He's directing Indiana Jones 5, apparently. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Very odd career. I like him a lot. Which of his films, aside from this one, is like what? Why do you like him so much? Uh, Girl Interrupted and Logan. Yeah, I love mm. Logan. I haven't seen Girl Interrupted since it came out. Oh, my rewatches uncomfortably, but really well. Yeah. I th- he directed Night and Day, too, which I think is an f- unfairly maligned movie. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I think. I think it came out at like the height of like Tom Cruise's crazy and yeah. like yeah sure, but yeah. like that was still a fun film and I, I it was it, um, Cameron Diaz is always fun in films. Speaking of another charming it mm-hmm. girl, so I really like yeah. that movie as well. So he has a great filmography, and he he's in really in an interesting I think position in Hollywood where he can. He started with very mid-budget films, which just don't get made anymore so much. Mm-hmm. And now he's doing very big films. I mean, Ford v. Ferrari was probably not a huge budget, but it was successful enough that it Isn't let it him Oscar do nom- it. Wasn't it like yeah, Best Picture nominee? It was a Best Picture yeah. nominee. Yeah, it did great. Like, But it wasn't, I think, a, it wasn't Wolverine or Logan. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so like now I guess he can, he probably kind of has carte blanche. Like, I think he can do anything. Uh, and this, and that's what I think is so interesting about Identity is that it is such a weird movie, not just because it has a crazy plot twist, but to me, this movie does not belong in 2003. It just seems like it was a 90s movie or, oh. right? Like there's something like you weren't getting movies with these kinds of crazy plots and this good a cast in 19, yeah. in 2003. It's, it's, um, it's, it's got big seven energy. Um, it's. It reminds it reminded me of many different genres, but yeah. I think what I like the most about it is at a point it is a slasher. Yes. There's a point in this movie yep. where it is fully a slasher movie. And with this fucking wild cast, when you see this hyper violence, it's it's really interesting. And when you realize like, oh, probably everybody is gonna die. And these are big <laughs> actors who don't mm-hmm. die in movies. One other thing um, before we dive into it, because I I think this is really interesting. Uh, Did you guys check out who wrote the screenplay? No, I didn't. Michael Cooney, um, who uh, did a movie called Six Souls, which has something very much in common with this one. I have not seen it. Have you, Christine? Yeah, I don't like it at all. Okay. More importantly, this is the man who wrote and directed the Jack Frost movies. The Killer Snowman The Killer movies? Snowman, not the scary Michael Keaton Snowman. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's quite a diversion. Right. Like, and, and that's what I think is so... Real pedigree, right? Real pedigree on this guy. Like, yeah. like, so, because you have that, and you have this, like, almost soap opera plot. Like, because the big twist of this movie, we're just going to say it because you can't keep dancing around it. Spoiler alert, identity. It's a what is it the correct terminology now i think is what disassociative um identity disorder back in the day and by the day i mean back when i was watching days of our lives in the 90s and kim brady had it it was split personality that's what we used to call it right when a person just or what's um what's the movie sybil and what was the um m night Shyamalan one version of it split Oh. oh Oh, Split, yeah. I forgot that Split happened, because that's, like, the same idea of, like, this condition that 
nobody that Hollywood doesn't understand. Like, and I do want to say just in case anybody who is sensitive to this is listening, like, I don't think any of us are experts on this. I know that there is a lot of controversy about the, the way this is handled in movies and books and everything. And I do sympathize with that because I'm sure it's very maligned. And it was such a neat, like when I was 10 and I was writing short stories, every other one would have a split personality because it was an easy (laughs) writer's trick. And like today I think we're like, oh wow, that's really fucked up. But that being said, I like, I want to put that disclaimer out so we can talk about how fun it is. Yes. Right. That's fair. That's a really good disclaimer because this is, it can be offensive and it is also kind of stupid. I remember the, the reviews that came out, this is one of those movies that I love. I adore this movie, but people who don't, I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. It's stupid. I, there's no nothing about this movie that makes me want to stand up and defend the plot to it, but it's just really well executed and has such a fun cast that I love yeah. it. And I, I kind of wish it didn't do the twist. Oh, really? Mm. I, well, I, like, I like the twist twist where... <laughs> Where at the end, what you think happened didn't happen. Right, you I like Timmy. I like, I think that that, that it's, it's kind of, it's very bleak. And I, oh, I yeah. kind of appreciate how it went super hopeful and then, you know, brought you back to the bleakness. Which of feels very movie. 2003, too. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I, but then, I don't want to get too far into it. I mean, I guess we're spoiling it. Yeah. But like, do people know what we're talking about? So sure. we know what's going on. <laughs> Who wants to give a plot synopsis? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just like if nobody's seen this, I definitely want to make sure that people are engaged enough to want to go see it because I want this movie to get watched more. I don't think people should listen to this if they haven't seen it. Oh, that's a really good point. So no, never... that, it, won't it be like I would be super disappointed if you told me everything that was going to happen and then I watched it. I'd be like, oh, I guess this is OK. Oh, shit. You're right. Well, I don't, <laughs> So I hope you've seen this if you're listening right now. So that's a good point. I mean, this is a movie where we have Rebecca De Mornay's head chopped off and, and banging around in a dryer. She dies first. She does. But, and you kind of know that from the opening credits because they do the and Rebecca De Mornay. So you're like, oh, okay, so she's not the star. And it's so disappointing because I love her in this movie. Yes. (sighs) It's really hard to create a realistic, like, movie star who's, like, an asshole. Because I I guess maybe we don't want to believe it or it's so hyperbolic that it just doesn't seem genuine. But, like, her, I get like when people say stars are difficult, I'm like, oh, this is what they're talking about. Right. And I, like I love when and John, baby John Hawks is in this movie, who I'm always happy to see. And mm-hmm. when he when he first meets her and he has this great line, it's just such a simple, like effective one line, which is, oh, didn't you used to be that movie star? Yeah. <laughs> like It's like, oh, got got it. Got everything I need to know about who this person is. It's one of the best lines in the movie. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, love Jason, if you want to give a quick synopsis, go Please, for it. I want to I hear just, it. Like, don't. I was. I was just more saying, like, fucking spoil like, it. Talk people watch, and, and also people watch this movie. No, yeah, <laughs> you're a hundred percent right. I don't know why I was thinking that people are going to listen to this and then run out and rent the movie, but. <laughs> but so. you know what? If people haven't seen it in a while, Jason, give us a recap of it. Yeah, Certainly. So the best way to the, to start describing this movie is to literally say it was a dark and stormy night yeah. and then some shit goes down. So it starts with a prosecutor legal guy calling his boss and saying like, hey, they are going to have an emergency hearing 
for this guy who is on death row scheduled to be executed tomorrow at midnight because new evidence has come up say, say, saying that he might be cuckoo bananas basically and he, <laughs> that is the legal uh, psychological term for it yes <laughs> yes and they might instead of executing him they might have to put him in a mental mental institution and so they're going to have this emergency midnight hearing because of it and so then we kind of cut away from that immediately mm-hmm. and then we're immediately in the desert with all of these characters and i love this type of storytelling where it introduces different characters and they're, it's very much the faculty it will <laughs> I, the, I think that's part of the reason I kept confusing this movie with the faculty and thinking, uh, what's his name, Sean Hattosi? Sean Hattosi, yeah, it, as the, Hattosi. yeah. I thought he was in this Hattosi. because it starts almost the same way as the faculty where you'll see a character and they're doing some stuff and then it'll freeze frame and their name pops up. And you're, you're introduced to all the characters and they're all driving in the desert or in the desert for some reason. And uh, it shows how they all inter- intersect. So... Basically, the best friend from Mad About You, that is the only way I know how to describe her, is a mother. Um, Dr. Cox from Scrubs is the father. Mm-hmm. And stepfather. Little, stepfather. Stepfather. And they have a little kid named Timmy. Timmy! They have a blowout in their little segment on, and their car. They're driving in the desert in the rain, and there's a blowout in the tire. He swerves to, to the side of the road. Well, we... Then when the mom is standing out by the window waiting for while he fixes the tire, she's looking at the little son. Car comes by, slams into her. And she I think about that scene all the time. Me too. Because you know, I always think of back that George Milanese film, the you know, the train one, and there's mm-hmm. a legendary story about everybody in the audience like freaking out because they thought the train was actually gonna run over them, and they're screaming because they think the train's coming right at us when it was on a screen because they didn't understand film. But when I see something like this, I'm like, oh no, I fucking get it because there was a moment <laughs> where I'm like, oh my god, I've been hit by a car. <laughs> I remember screaming when that car comes out of nowhere. And you know those scenes in movies where people are driving and it's to somebody sitting in the passenger seat. And Mm -hmm. then there's the car that comes and T-bones them. And it's all in that one shot. I fall for that shit every single (laughs) time. See, I'm so paranoid about any time a movie or TV show a character is driving and talking. I'm like, you're going to get into an accident. Don't take your fucking eyes off the road. Keep your eyes on the road. And this is The Descent talking to me. Like... I think I must have seen The Descent and Final Destination 2 really close to each other. Yeah. So to where I'm like, anytime somebody's driving and they look back, I'm like, you're going to you're gonna die. I'm not even going to feel bad for you because I know you're going to die in this moment. <laughs> and don't watch the eighth epi- episode of The Haunting of Hill House if you don't want to have a bad car <gasps> oh, scare. Oh, that car scare is so good. That still, yeah. to this day, freaks me out. Yep, but, same. So back to the synopsis. Sorry for the diversion. <laughs> yeah. But it's basically, it's basically showing how all these characters uh, call, are, are connected. Because the blowout that Dr. Cox had was because um, of... John Cusack. Amanda Pete. Amanda Pete. She, her suitcase oh, yeah. flew open and her stiletto heel came out and that's what he ran over. And then uh, John Cusack is driving the limousine that has the celebrity in the back and he's trying to find her phone charger when he accidentally hits the mom the friend from Mad About You. So they're all connected in some way. This accident was all everybody's fault. So they all end up at a motel, uh, which John Hawks manages. 
And to round out the cast, we have um, Ray Liotta show up with <laughs> Jake Busey, <laughs> people. With his uh, con, and I love the way he calls him my con. It's so cute. Yeah, it's like it's like. <laughs> What'd a you do with my con? <laughs> it's kind of like a gigapet or whatever those yeah. that he has to keep alive and feed and change every <laughs> once in a while. And so that's the that's the cast because he is transporting a, a criminal uh, who is Jake Busey. And uh, am I forgetting any? Oh, yes, and you're also, forgetting Clea Duvall. Clea Duvall. Yes. And and not Sean and Hattison. And not Sean Hattison. Hats, Hats, yes, not that guy. Not the faculty. Yes. So that's the entire cast. Am I right? That's, I think so. Yeah, that's everybody at the hotel. Yeah. Uh, and I guess so you have, what, very quickly, one of them ends up dead. And we yes. find her head, but not the rest of her. And with the head is her uh, keychain for her, what we think is her room, but it's not her room, because the keychain says number 10. Yes. So so this is another reason why I love it. It is some Agatha Christie, oh, 10 Little Indian kiss. Totally. Yeah. Immediately. And, and I think that's originally why I gravitated to it so hard back when it came out, because I love that stuff. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, a modern movie is doing this in a really interesting way." Yeah, a hundred percent. It's like, and then there were none, and it's just yep. there's a countdown and a clock. That's such a great thing with mysteries and suspense. You want that like ticking clock, or mm-hmm. you want that like timer, and every key is like you're counting down. Like, okay, who's going to be one? Well, and the simplicity of like, okay, well, we need to stay together. Okay, that's easy enough. No, it's not. Something's going to happen where one of you has to go in that room. And as soon as one of you leaves, one of you's going to end up dead. And it, wait, but you were in front of us the whole time. How did this happen where now you have a keychain on you? I don't know, but you have one. Gee, yeah. what could be causing all of this? And I remember this trailer so well because they reveal the part where everybody realizes they have the same birthday in the trailer oh, like that's unfortunate uh, yeah i would not and do that so this movie makes you think like okay it, there's a serial killer but also oh, very early in the film i should say jake Busey, the con escapes from being handcuffed to a toilet and so he goes out and he's running around and he goes through this like gulch or arroyo or and like comes up on the other side and the motel is still there so we know there's some supernatural weird shit going mm. on really soon in the movie it's not just a serial killer. It's actually there's some strange shit going on because people can't escape. The rivers are washed, or the roads are washed out on both sides, so nobody can escape. It's raining intensely. They can't go anywhere. They're they are stuck there, and something is keeping them there and killing them. Mm-hmm. That's basically the premise. And so, what is keeping them there and killing them? Timmy. Timmy. Well, well, <laughs> well. Timmy is killing them. But they are being kept there because they are all versions of Pruitt Taylor Vince's psyche, right? Yes. So it turns mm-hmm. out the story that we saw at the beginning that seemed to be very disconnected. There's a part that you think like, well, maybe that's Jake Busey. Maybe he's the con that was being transported. I yeah. think maybe. I don't totally understand. I'm trying you to remember what out. I thought the first time I watched this. Because uh, I didn't know any marketing for this. I think I, I guess I was 2003. So I was in college and I think I just wasn't as like caught up on movies at the time. So this showed up on cable and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, what is that? I, I remember because the first time I watched this, I didn't see the first like 10 minutes. So it just uh-huh. started. And for whatever reason, I decided to keep it on. And then I'm like, wait, this is what? What is this? And like, how did I not know about it? So I didn't. I remember thinking. I feel like I remember thinking that John Cusack was going to be the bad guy, but that might have just oh, been wishful thinking because it would have been more would have been interesting to me. 
And he gives off that vibe. Well, he, yeah, like, yes and no. <laughs> I don't know. Christine, you're a big Cusack fan, right? Um, He has this weird uh, untrustworthiness to him uh, that that I don't think is always bad. And I actually think it makes some characters he plays more complex by yeah. accident. Because he's kind of a good guy. He's like a former cop, and he's down to get to the bottom of it and do what's right. But because he's John Cusack, you're, you don't hate him. You're like, oh, okay. This guy's got, I guess, good intentions. It, well, and it's, I think, like, I, I had such a complicated relationship with him. Because I think I had, like, a friend who thought he was, like, he was her number one. And I was like, I do not, fi-, and I still don't find him sexy in any way. Mm-hmm. But I also, like, to me, I think I'm just stuck on high fidelity and that era of, like, him playing that character that was supposed to be a heartthrob that I found gross and awful. Mm. And that's just my taste. Like it's a Scott Pilgrim thing where I find that type of man very unappealing and dangerous. So I, I know that I associate that with you know, high fidelity. I I haven't watched it in years, but I did not like it when I first saw it. I, you want to know why I've never seen it because I don't think I like it. I don't think you would. That's smart. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Danny Trejo very famously said that the one actor that gave him the creeps was John Cusack. <gasps> oh, I did not know that. And I have yeah. I have nothing but trust in Danny Trejo. Exactly. Which, okay, I'm going to sidebar now because since we brought up Danny Trejo, let's talk about Ray Liotta, who I, I am a Ray Liotta fan. I love him. Um, I, sure, I find him like – gross That's and sexy. Your thing. He's my thing. Yeah, cuz he's like you like gross sexy. I like gross sexy. Like and I think he's in this movie he's pure gross sexy because he's like even when he's an asshole cop, I'm like oh, like he's such an asshole. And I'm not usually somebody that likes assholes, but I like his I, version of an asshole. Which is really interesting because Brandon is one of the kindest, sweetest people totally. in the world. I think it's that but like the, total opposite thing. Yeah. Because the men that you find attractive are really intense and aggressive and who's yeah. the other guy that Michael I don't Shannon. like that Michael Michael Ironside too yeah yeah and that's the thing like but in real life I don't want to date those men like it's just this like movie sexiness like I find Ray Liotta sexier than John Cusack but the reason I wanted to mention Danny Trejo can we just sidebar about how weird it is that Ray Liotta is basically an extra in the Muppets Most Wanted (laughs) yes right Christine you've seen this movie too right (laughs) remember a lot of it but that does i that is familiar like he's there because danny trejo is like one of the prisoners and they call him like danny trejo is playing danny trejo and it's like good night danny trejo and like ray liotta is just there with the prisoners and he doesn't have a name he doesn't have like any extra lines like he feels like it was just he like forced himself on set was like no no just put me in the scene just put me in the next scene okay yeah yeah i'm part of the movie now you don't have to pay me but like he's just (laughs) there in the movie and nobody acknowledges that ray liotta is like just an extra in this movie. But anyway, sorry. I think Ray Liotta is maybe fighting against because he has that Michael Shannon intensity thing where yeah. people kind of naturally don't like him. He's played so many intense characters. Yeah, and he can play a good that, asshole. Yeah, and I think he's trying to fight. He did Kimmy Schmidt. You know, he's trying to do these yeah. little comedy things maybe to be like, hey, I'm a cool guy. I'm fun. <laughs> You know, doing the anti-smoking commercial, the Shantix commercials. Oh, yeah. He's trying to prove like I'm a real person, everybody. Maybe. Maybe, I bet he was great in this. I yeah. will say that that was really good casting, uh, because you don't. He's a cop. His character shows up, and he's a cop escorting this con. But you don't trust him. Something's no. not right about this guy. He's a little too intense. He's a little too eager to just shoot people. <laughs> Which, but then you're also you're like, I don't know. Cops are kind of assholes, so it kind of makes yeah. sense. Well, and then so, so then John Cusack. 
I think watching it again today, like, I just, I load so much into a character like this, because I'm like, on one hand, like, he, he, like, there's a lot he does that is nice guy, right? Like, he is, from the beginning, he's doing the right thing. He's the one who's like, no, 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 we have to take, save this woman. No, I don't care about, like, I understand you're paying me, but I don't care. Here's my backstory about how I failed as a human being, and that made me fail as a, in my job. And it seems like he's being, like, kind to Amanda Peet, but he's also occasionally, like, kind of being an asshole to her. And his performance is, I don't think this is natural for, or usual for John Cusack. His his performance is very sedate, and I don't know his filmography enough to know if that's just him. Excuse me, I have hiccups. If that's just him, but like when he finds Rebecca De Mornay's head in the in the dryer, he's just kind of like, huh. Well, <laughs> oh, okay. Be damned. He's that kind of nice, huh? Little toothpick, and there's no reaction in his face. Maybe that's just how he is as an actor, but I'm like, give me something. But or was that directed that way to make everybody seem suspicious? Because that that part was really suspicious to me. I think that's a really good point, but I, I would lean more towards that, like it was to make you not know who was where anyone stood. But also, if he was, if his backstory is that he was like this hardened cop yeah. who just had to get out, like maybe yeah. he's just really jaded and has this PTSD. disaffectedness. Yeah. Mm. And which is very noirish. I know we've thrown that term around yeah. a lot, but that's one of the key identifiers of a noir film. Like you have an anti hero. Your hero is right. an anti hero who's like jaded, beat down by life. Everything sucks. He's had a troubled past. And so he is very much because I, th- when I think of this film, I picture it in black and white for some reason. Mm. This would be such a great black and white, tip, yeah. true noir film. This, this, yeah, this could be one of those like give it the Mad Max treatment and just they give us a cut that way. And how would it play? Yeah. I, I would watch that. Yeah. Huh. Fascinating. I, I'm sorry. I just have to say, Eddie just came up and wrote a note because he didn't want to talk and interrupt. And the note just said, Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. I agree. A hundred percent. The answer is B. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway. Uh, now I need to know. What, what I know. does it mean? Yeah, what's the clarification on that? He's, he's back on his headphones. I'll have to tell you later. Damn it. That'll be another the mystery. mystery. <laughs> um. uh, so I have to say, um, Amanda Peet is in this film. She is, the, her character is a ex-sex worker. Um, who is trying to go legit and she bought an orange grove in Florida and she's getting out of Vegas. She's leaving Las Vegas and she's going to go open an orange grove and just live happily on a farm. And I love that character. And I love her. She's fantastic. Yeah. She's my easily, easily my favorite thing in this movie. And, and, and I, there's so there's a lot of horphobia horf, in this movie and yes. it's from John John Hawks but I kind of didn't hate it as much this time because if you do pay attention to that opening info oh, yeah. that that our whoever they're talking about has some complicated relationships with their mother who was also a sex yeah. worker and maybe yes. brought their child along where they shouldn't have so it kind of made sense to me. Completely. And I think tangentially, what's, what I actually like about that opening 
is often I criticize movies for giving you too much information up front, especially when it's like really like detailed, like the names of planets or ships or families. And you're like, I don't even know what you're doing. I'm not going to remember this. But I think here it worked because like it kind of benefits you not to remember it. But in, in it, if you go back, it's all super relevant. And it plants seeds. Like it's one yeah. of those things. Like I love an opening credit sequence where it's like newspaper articles and notebooks. And you don't have to like you're not losing anything by not paying close attention. <laughs> but if you pay close attention, then it just like plants itself in your head. And you're like, oh, OK, yes, this sex worker mother, mother and uh oranges or like whatever it is that then when it comes up like there's a there's a click because i think something that again it's why i'm so fascinated by this movie coming out in 2003 with this budget and with this cast like it it's a smart like you can't it's a smart person's movie that's rated r that is kind of a genre movie who are you marking it towards like there's like they talk about like how they don't make movies for grown-ups anymore, right? Like mm, yeah. and this yeah. one is. Like and not like if I was a teenager I would love this movie, but it's done in a way where this movie is not trying to like you know, pander to young people or like appeal like even you think about like oh you have like a really like attractive cast for the most part, but none of them are getting naked. Nobody is like there's no real sex in this movie. There's no romance in this movie. Like there's a little bit of sexual tension between John Cusack and Amanda Peet, maybe, but there's really not. Like it's just you yeah. you see that because you're so used to that being there, but it's really like no no, no like they're not like there's a, a, like, a connection that to them just yeah because it's a man on the screen and a woman on the exactly. screen exactly like, oh, and they're both hot so yeah yeah um and even the yeah. kids the quote-unquote kids clea duvall and not sean hattesey um they don't have a huge part they would be if they were gonna appeal to kids they would have written that up more yeah if yeah. they were gonna appeal to that demographic yeah and i think in in that regard it really is like an agatha christie and then there were none style story because those really are just about these big fat casts and how they interact it's not like going off and having this relationship and this sex scene and it, it just it keeps moving and keeps doing character work yeah and it's interesting when you look at the characters through the, the the lens of the twist that they're all in this guy's mind as his different personalities, quote unquote. It, it's it's funny the women. So you have the whore, for lack of a better word. He one of them is the thing that he hates the most, and then the other one is the mother, mm-hmm. who is just a caring, giving mother, who's the sweetest mother in the world. And um, then you have Clay Duvall's character, who is kind of both because she is pretending to be a mother. But she's actually not. She tricks yeah, a man into a marrying point. her by by saying she's pregnant, but she's actually not. It's really just about jealousy of other women and trying to control this man. So you can see how he would create this character of, of a you know, really complex. Woman. It's interesting because I'm like when I'm looking like and thinking of the characters and how they're created, and I think the John Hawks character is the easiest example of that because he do, like he's not a terrible guy like he does some shitty stuff but like for the most part he's doing like, the first thing he does when they bring in the, the body of the mother he's like oh use this phone do this like yeah he's not like a shitty person at first but but yet his interactions with Amanda Pete are just horrific and he is just as hateful as you can be towards this woman because as soon as he sees her he knows oh you're a sex worker I hate you you are trash and just everything he says to her, every time he looks at her, it's this yeah. total, total, and it's he doesn't have that towards any other character. And it, again, makes perfect sense because you're like, oh, this is the part of Malcolm 
that he is chat like the hate he had for his the mother killer. yeah is totally like okay it was all put into this personality that's where he deals with that and that it, was why it, like with Ginny I had a little bit of a harder time with Ginny and Lou cuz I'm like they're harder to me to piece together in Malcolm's head well i see i i was questioning that as well well first of all um i want to say i kept i think coming at this from a clue point of view like i was expecting john hawks to have known amanda pete in some way sure. for them to have a connection because that was what it was in clue they looked at each other and like oh there's a history right, there right. and that's what i was expecting but it turns out that's not the case but i was also thinking like how are these characters created in this guy's mind and i think what was his name lou i'm not i can't keep yeah. calling him not sean hattesey not uh, sean hattesey is lou yeah lou is his rage just a rage-filled character that's just like always angry i don't know if that's yeah. completely true because i was trying to figure assign just a personality like right, like a seven deadly person. sins kind of thing to it yeah yeah and i think the closest i could come up to with lou would be like that's the rage he was just beating on the door and screaming at this woman and really angry and i think or maybe it's because this character was taken advantage of by women mm. And, you know, it's uh, women just, like, being bitches to him. One tricking him into marrying, the other one, like, flirting with him and telling people about it, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. You know, he's just that, like, incel character. Sure, I'll buy that. But I, I have to say, too, a quick side note about Amanda Pete. I used to write this little blog, uh, and it was basically just because I wanted to write Onion articles. And it was, like, articles that were, like, Onion-like. And I think it was on Tumblr, maybe. And one of the articles I wrote, which still makes me giggle to this day, like I got no traction. Nobody ever read my blog, but it made me laugh. <laughs> one of the articles was about Amanda Pete and how she thinks she's like America's it girl. <laughs> and all her friends are so exhausted trying to keep up the ruse. <laughs> like, pretending that the paparazzi was just outside, but thank God we went in the back door so you won't get swamped. <laughs> and like, actually nobody cares. <laughs> Oh, I like Amanda Peet. I'd put I her in more too. movies. I don't know why I was so mean in that article, but I still think it's really funny. It was probably very 2003. Well, because she is one of those actresses that I can't figure out why she wasn't bigger. Because she's yeah. talented and beautiful. And there's got to be something. Brown -haired. She's what? She's brown-haired. It's the curse of the brown-haired actress. <laughs> like... For some reason, there are some brown-haired actresses that we just dig in and go like, oh, they're terrible. But no one can really say why, like Anne Hathaway. Mm. It's just, mm. she's brown-haired. You know, we there was a joke on 30 Rock. It was forever, it was just a joke on 30 Rock that I didn't totally understand. And then I saw a clip of it on YouTube. Did you guys know that in Tangled, that is that a Pixar movie, Tangled, or is Dream? No, it's a. It it's, might be Disney. Okay, it's Disney, not Pixar. I think. Okay, so then this Disney movie, like it ends with somebody chopping off her hair and it turns brown and <gasps> she loses her power. Oh my god! What a nightmare! Oh my god! Fuck that movie. So, I do have a different theory about Amanda Peet. Okay, I think she something she can do so well. She can play a cunt. Mm. And she has done, like, I think when you look at her, like, changing lanes, she has one scene, and she is just screaming at Ben Affleck, and it's great. Um, uh, Saving Silverman, which is not a good movie, but she is fantastic in it. I think she probably... Oh, God, I love that movie. Like, and, I just remembered that movie existed. And, like, you're thinking of her in that, and she's so good. 
I th- I wonder how much of it is that she has the look where she should have been like a romantic, like a Catherine Heigl, Julia Roberts type romantic yeah. comedy. I think she has the chops for it. But I wonder how much of it is like she did enough movies where she played harsh and hard and that studios weren't thinking of her then for the softer role that would have made her a movie star. That's my theory. Yeah. Did you ever see that movie Whipped that she was in? No. It's there's four, I think four friends. I don't remember it very well. This was like some late nineties movie I watched and she, there's four friends and it turns out she starts, they all talk about this woman they're dating. And it turns out it's her. They were all dating her. Yeah. Like you've seen seen that. yeah. And there's a twist at the end of this where it turns out that she just did it to fuck with them and like ruin their friendship because one of them was mean to her one time. So she like destroys this friend group by dating every one of them like, at the same time. If I heard that concept and I had to be like, so who would you cast in that part? I'd be like, yeah, I'm Pete. <laughs> like, yeah. It makes sense. She I can play that. Now. Yeah. And, and that's like a well, skill, you know, but it's not going to be the lead. No. And we don't really, we don't, at least in the early two thousands, that was not something yeah. that was enjoyed because there's too much autonomy in a, in a character like that and yeah. a, a woman who plays characters like that. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question. Um, I don't know where Amanda Peet falls in the whole Weinstein thing, but uh, he made a lot of people, mm. a lot of, a lot of actresses. You go, why wasn't she more? Yeah, famous? that's true. Yeah back to that so i wonder if that had anything to I do mean, with she, it she was gorgeous yeah she's married to um one of the guys who developed developed and ran game of thrones oh, um well, and I th- maybe she she might also just be one of those people like shit i don't gotta work yeah and it, well she got married in 2006 so that was like shortly after she was kind of do like when she should have been big um, but it just like that also could have been like i think she has kids like maybe she backed out because she wanted to do yeah. that and stuff but she might have might have gone the Bridget Fonda route and just been like, I'm rich, bitch. Yeah, that's I, true. I don't do anything. But like, that is like such a sad thing. But it, like, Christine, you make a good point. Like you do always kind of have to think like, and it's, I think it's true too of, and not to say like, oh, the people that did hit it big, like, is it because of this? Like, and I don't want to say that, but it just makes you like realize like how much um, circumstance, I guess, goes into the person getting the role uh, and why some actors just never I think Annabelle Sciorra was the one that, like, really was a case of that, where it was, man, like, wait, why wasn't she big? Oh, yeah, because of Weinstein, who actively fucked her over and, like, mm-hmm. you know, where he was making sure she wasn't getting parts. Um, yeah. But just, like, Makes how many, are, yeah. About Rachel McAdams. I've always wondered that about her, where she has a decent career, but I pictured her as, like, the next It girl when yeah. Mean Girls came around and, and like a few other things, I was like, oh, she's going to be huge. And she did have the notebook. And I, I know that she was in successful things, but she kind of disappeared. And I always wondered what, what happened. And I'm, now it makes me wonder everybody. Yeah. I'm going to think, Christine, you're full of good points. Was Weinstein <laughs> yeah. involved in that? Can we get a movie with Amanda Peet and um, Rachel McAdams as, I don't know, like angry sisters who have to take over the world? Like I, Because the two of them can do that really well. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say the B word, but they do it well. Totally. There's an archetype that only exists in films, and they would be great mm-hmm. at it. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but again, back to identity. Her character is so sweet and so pure. Yeah. It's funny that she is like a sex worker, and John Hawks hates her because she's a whore. But she is just the nice. All she wants to do is garden just and have a little orange. orange. Yeah. Yeah. It is, and let me get on my sex worker soapbox for a minute. It is 
one of the best portrayals of a sex worker in film. Period. End of story. And what makes it so? I'm interested to hear this because I had my thoughts too. She is a well-rounded, full character that has secured her money, that has a long-term plan, and that has done what she needs to do to make that plan happen. She Mm -hmm. is caring. Mm -hmm. She is attentive. She she is there for Ginny before anybody else, before they even know each other. She is, I am here for this other woman. I am going to look Mm -hmm. after this other woman. And she's like, take, take Timmy to the car. She's very selfless. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. And she's even there for Larry. Like she, she tries to help him. She does try to save him. And she's definitely the audience surrogate too. She's the one that we're supposed to identify with and like follow most because she's even the character that is like, what the fuck is going on? Why is this happening? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of goes a little crazy. And who's also, like, the first one to kind of do the other thing that we're doing, which is, like, wait, what do we all have in common? <laughs> yeah, she's she's arguably smarter and, yep. and more aware than a lot of the other characters. Yep. We've had this conversation before, and it always seems to, co- seems to come up at Horror Hound, the horror movie convention we've attended. Because uh, in horror films, there's always the, the, you know, the one who has sex, the sexual character, is it's a sin, and they die. But we always talk about how, like, don't you think the slut would be the one that would survive? They're really? so resourceful. Yeah. They're so quick on their feet. You know, they're always thinking they have a lot of balls in the air. I would want somebody who's, like, sexual to, like, take on Freddy Krueger or Michael Myers. Like, they would slay it. There's a con. Well, like, also, I think, I'm trying to remember when this came up, but, like, the difference in confidence level. Like, why I always find it so funny, like, the, when you can watch a movie and they say, like, um, I, oh, I know what it was. We were talking about The Stand, and we talk about the character of Nadine, who is supposed to be a virgin. Like, and that is a big part of that character, is that this was a woman who's been saving herself for Randall Flagg. Is that Molly Ring? No. No, that, that that's the problem. In the first film, that is Laura San Giacomo. Okay, who got it. drips sex. Like, yes. who just has that sultry voice and these big lips and this long hair. And you look at her... And, and, like, yeah, the first scene of her, she's, like, in New York with a gun, like, popping pills, flirting with Larry immediately. You're like, this bitch has done it. Like, you can't tell me <laughs> this woman. And in the and in the book, she's haunting. Like, and the remake, um, or the second adaptation, whatever you want to call it, which is not good, um, right. it's Amber Heard. And I think who, on at face value, doesn't seem like the right choice for that character, but they make it well, where it's like, no, she's off. There is something off about this woman who is beautiful, but yet does have this thing where, like, she she's not connecting with people. There's there is a block there, and that makes sense for a person who is never and not to say like like oh you have to have sex to live or anything like that, but there is a I think like <laughs> a thing that happens for a lot of people of once they do it and they're like oh, okay this is my confidence. Like I understand the way bodies work can work together. I understand what my body can do. Um, and when you try to put the wrong person in that part of the, it, it, you see it and it doesn't work. I don't remember yeah. what we were talking about. <laughs> no, but you made a good point, even though you didn't. I know did, what you're but, but about. how did I get to the stand? What were you saying right before that? Um, um, you 
talking about how arguably the slut would be more resourceful. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because the little virgin who's like, oh, but I don't know if I can kill Mechanized, whereas, whereas the one who's like, no, no, I, I, I know how body parts work. I can do this. Yeah. yeah. And you're not being anti-virgin. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. You're yes. saying that the way that virginity and virgins are typically portrayed in an archetypical way, yeah. the person is very innocent and very pure and very naive. Yeah. Not to say that that's how real virgins are in the world, but no. like the way that they're typically right. given Even the us. language. The yeah. yeah. The, the language, oh, he took my virginity. Like, what, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah. No, that is the grossest statement I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. But Amanda Pete, that this chick fucks. Oh, like, totally. She is a character who mm-hmm. is, she's a sex worker, but also like just a sexual person. Yeah. And she's just sexy. She feels comfortable dressed sexy and, and putting it out there. And it's I loved the character in the film because of that. Because uh, what you were saying, Christine, like this is the best depiction of a sex worker, I was thinking along the same lines, but I was like, it's really unique because an easier way to go would be this character who is a sex worker who like doesn't want – she's not sexy when she's not sex working. Right, she's not know? wearing leopard, yeah. Yeah, she's putting a sweatshirt on, she's wearing baggy jeans or whatever, but this character, like, no, she knows she has a hot body, yeah. and she feels comfortable presenting it, and she's like, well, if people are going to find me sexy, I might as well make money yeah. off of it. And, and I... Like, just retire. And the scene, like, her through immediately, I think the first scene of her and Ray Liotta is so great, because it also tells you everything you need to know about him, because he just sidles up to her at the vending machine, yeah. and just the way she immediately clocks it. She's like, you're a cop, you're a pig, I know exactly who you are, you're not going to fuck me, thank you, goodbye. Yep. Um, it's so like, yeah, girl, like, you you get it, you know it, You, I don't have to worry about you, like, you can take care of yourself, and, be, and in part because men have tried to take advantage of you, and you've learned how to not let that happen. Um, and I just, I love that, like, it's it's good... It's good writing. It's it's really good performance. Like it's just it, everything clicks. And there, let's. Say, I'm sorry, Christine. Please. Well, just real quick. There's a bit of that that I think could be viewed as like pandering or cliche, like hooker with a heart of gold. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I that it's not it's not surface level. It's actually developed. They yeah. let her be a main character, so she's not just the stereotype of, mm-hmm. of that. Tree. Yeah. Yeah, so I appreciate it, and I'm I'm actually surprised that it happened. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And what I was gonna say is that um, the 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 killer Malcolm, um, played by what, Pruitt, Pruitt Taylor, Taylor Vince, Vince <laughs> he has. The, uh, the multiple personalities, but also this guy, it's a shame he's going to be put to death or go to a mental institution because he can tell a story. <laughs> like every one of these characters has like, it's so layered. Like John Hawk's character, for example, it, like where did that come from? Oh, did yeah. he just came into the motel? So they think he's the killer, it turns out. Um, so they tie him to a chair and they think he's the one doing it, but it, because they find... A, a dead body in the freezer uh, outside of these main characters. There's a body that's been in the freezer for a really long time. And then they are like, well, you killed this guy. You're probably killing everybody else. Turns out he just showed up at the motel to get a room one night. The owner was dead at the desk. Had he killed himself? I, just I think he, oh, no, I think they, just a heart attack. I, probably like, I think it's just like, I don't know. He was dead. He was dead. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they say. And he was just like, well, I put him in the freezer, and then somebody showed up for a room, and I just gave him a room, yeah. and then I just gave everybody else rooms. I just started working here. I'm like, that's a good. St- I would watch that movie alone. Right. 
That's such a good story. Yeah. And I like that he also, um, I don't like that he watches Wheel of Fortune, but I appreciate that he made a drinking game out of it. Yes. I By a Val, take a shot. Eddie actually pointed this out because I said, I'm like, why is this guy so excited for people to buy a Val's? I thought it was that weird directing thing there where they're just like, you're watching Wheel of Fortune. What would you say when you watch Wheel of Fortune? And he was just saying that. But Eddie pointed out, he's like, no, it's a drinking game. He's taking a shot when he buys a Val. I'm like, oh, this movie makes so much more sense. (laughs) (laughs) This movie's fucking brilliant. I love it. Um, So we do, we cannot leave without talking about Timmy. Well, and also one other thing, we have to talk about Ray Liotta, that twist. There's another, there's twists right. within twists. There here. really are a lot of twists. You're right. Because at one point we see Ray Liotta, like, take his, he's putting his jacket back on, and you see that it, the back of his shirt, there's blood and a hole on the back of his shirt. So there's a part of you like, okay, is he a zombie? Did he get murdered? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on there? Well, and then he has the Jake Busey, his con, which we're talking about. Uh-huh. It turns out they were in the car together being transported, both of them criminals. They killed the cop that was transporting them and Rayleigh by stabbing him. This was interesting to me because they somehow sneak a shiv into their transport. Yeah, it seems like very bad security. But again, yeah. it's also like not really happening. It's all in his head. So I think we can forgive that. Exactly. There's a lot you can kind of gloss over yeah. because they, they take off this little part of the back of the seat and they stab the policeman through the back of the seat to kill him. And I was thinking, like, okay, but you're still stuck in the back of a cop car. And then they just kind of gloss over that and they cut to them out of the car and changing into his clothes. Like, okay, I guess we're not going to address that those doors are locked. You're not getting out of there. I've been in the back of a cop car. I know you are oh, not getting out of there. That's for another podcast. Yeah. Unless you're Sarah Michelle Geller and you kick the windows out, True. I guess. But they take the car they take the car and it's completely fine. So I don't know how that happened, but that's glossed over. Yes. That's definitely a missed part opportunity to explain. Well, so right, so Ray Liotta is actually a bad guy. Yes. Um but the real bad guy is little Timmy. 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 Um, what I watching it this time was one of those like when you sit down to watch a movie that you know has a big twist, and you're watching it, you're like, oh, it's all there. Like because yeah. it is. It totally the very first thing that happens. And first of all, the the way the kid's introduced is such a great annoying kid thing because he's playing a loud video game, and you're like, yeah. oh man, this kid's shit. And I don't think he says anything the entire movie, which is so great. But mm-hmm. that the very like the scene when his mother dies, and you're like, oh yeah, he did. Oh yeah, he did that. Backed oh yeah, up. he was there. That oh, like it's all there, which I love. Yeah, it's great when they show that big reveal, which was another thing big in the early 2000s going back and showing you all of the stuff that you missed so they show every time that timmy was around like how he killed somebody and the mothers was really interesting because it's right there like you said but you don't catch it because he is in the back seat of the wind of the car and the mom's standing outside while the stepdad is changing the tire and he puts his hand up to the glass and she kind of puts her hand on it very loving maternal thing and she smiles at her son and then he kind of backs up and they're playing a mirror game Mm. so she backs up as well and that's when the car hits her and it's so subtle you even see it at the beginning but then later when they show it you're like oh yeah shit he made her step out into the street playing this (laughs) little game because the difference is just in the reveal the camera cuts back to him and he has this tiny little evil doll smile on his face which is so great 
And I gotta say, maybe it's because this kid didn't speak, but that's a cute kid. They cast a really cute <laughs> actor for this. He just looks so sweet, has the little hair parted to the side, little cherubic face. He was a really cute kid. And he pulled the, the role off, even though, though he said nothing. I thought he was a good kid actor. <laughs> He's like the one, I thought he would do more, but he didn't really, he didn't really yeah. do much after this. I, up. I was surprised too. Yeah. Um, away from that car explosion it was really funny. Yes. <laughs> like, not giving a fuck. Yep. It was really dramatic and thus very funny. Yeah. Yes. Because, like, it blows his hair and, like, it's, a, you know, there's like, tires flying out and he's just like, yeah, take it, bitches. He's, like, doing the, like, like, he threw a cigarette down and just, you know, didn't turn around when it blows up. Love it. What movie is that? Is that is it the good guys or the other guys or whatever the Will Ferrell movie? Another Mark Wahlberg film, but I think it's Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg where they try to do that. Like there's something's gonna explode and they start to walk away, and then it like knocks them down and they're both screaming. They're like, "How do people just walk away from this? Oh God, it's so loud. That hurts so much." <laughs> that is my understanding of how explosions happen. Yeah. But Timmy cannot be, he doesn't Timmy. give a fuck. Timmy don't give no fucks. Yeah. So do we yeah. like the ending or do we wish it ended happy for little Paris? Um, I, I will say that I saw this movie in the theater with my ex. And one of the funniest movie quips I've ever heard came from him during this movie. And so uh, when it shows Paris, uh, Amanda Pete, she, she got out, she got her orange grove. She's the only one that survived. We think, and she walks out on her little farm and she has this like little farm implement. And my ex leaned over to me at that point. Cause she gets down in the dirt and she starts working. And my ex leaned over to me and said, look, she's still hoeing. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't change that for anything in the world. That was just the best moment. That's that's fair. I was playing Pictionary with my family once, and my nephew, who was probably like nine at the time, um, he gets a card, and he's like, oh, I can't, I don't think I can draw this. And I wasn't on his team, so I'm like, do you need help? He's like, no, he's like, it's a bad word. I can't draw it. And I'm like, let, let me look at it. Let me, let me let me help you. Let me figure it out. I'm like, it can't be a bad word. It's Pictionary. <laughs> look at it. And it was O-H-O-E. <laughs> I'm like, oh, please draw it. Please draw what you think this word means. <laughs> do you remember being a big Jeopardy fan? Do you remember that question where uh, the question was something like, this is a person of like, low morals or something and the person rang in and they said that would be a hoe and the answer was a rake yes. <laughs> and alec kept, couldn't stop laughing about it oh i love a good jeopardy fail yeah <laughs> but to your question i i always want a movie to end happily so i was a little disappointed at the ending because to say it she's out hoeing you know working in the soil and she hits something <laughs> And she like pulls it up, and it's the key, it's the key. number one key that was never revealed. To, and then she turns around, and Timmy is standing there with uh, something to kill her. And there's a big dramatic moment, and that's when we have all the flashbacks, and we realize that Timmy was the killer the whole time. Yeah. Christine, did you want Paris to live? I mean, yeah, but that wasn't the movie that this yeah. was. Yeah. So he did it kind of maybe would have felt a little disconnected mm -hmm. um because i mean she's she's technically not real yeah so it's sad that this the pure part of this person didn't win that's really sad mm -hmm. because we're back in the transport 
and Alfred, hot, hot Alfred Molina gets oh, it. Yes. And because, like, Timmy is in charge, he's the only one left. So now this person who had all this conflict inside them, if we're going by the yeah. text of the film, has essentially damned. The mm-hmm. worst, most juvenile, id-driven part of him won. Yep. And it's really sad. Yeah. Can I? And to go back just a little bit, this movie reveals this twist with, like, 30 minutes to go in the film. And yeah. I think that's part of the reason I love it, because... It's so when you do the twist and this is essentially like, oh, it was all a dream twist or something like that. They were dead the whole time. It's kind of along those lines. And a lot of times when that happens, you're like, oh, well, fuck, that was stupid. I watched that the whole time for no reason. But this movie gives that stakes. Like, yeah, we we know that it's like a fantasy or if it's just going on inside. his It's head, very but- defined. Yeah, but they set it up that, yeah. like, no, you have to go back in and you have to find out who this killer is. You have to yeah. go to these personalities because we need – you're trying to kill that person off. Yeah. You're trying to get down to the one good personality, and if you do, we can save your life and you won't be murdered tomorrow. Yeah. So it has stakes that he has to go back into this fantasy land and we have to follow these well, characters. And the fact that, like, yes, they reveal the twist a half hour with about a half hour left – but then there's one final twist. Yes. And like that's what's so, which I guess in hindsight too, like 2003 is the same year Saw comes out, right? Or Saw yeah, 2004. Yeah. Like there's something, 2004, like there, there's something like thinking back like, oh yeah, this was kind of an era where we had, and not, what's that Christine? Oh, I think yes. And then now that you've stopped talking, I'm going to say what year did Memento come out? Because Ooh, good question. It, right before that, I, I think. I think it was 2000. Uh, Memento was... We, we, we yeah. love the twist. We love the dark reconceptual, recontextualization of, like, events. So this is very much a yeah. movie of that time. Well, and I hate to say it, but probably what really kicked that off was Usual Suspects. Yeah. So you get that in, like, indie films, and then you get, you, like, by, like, I guess by 2000 was when, it, or 2003, is like, okay, yeah, we can spend a little more money and do this now, too. Well, and it, we can't discount Shyamalan adding to every movie sure. needing a twist after after he came around and yeah. every movie was trying to be the big twist yeah. that nobody would reveal, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like this that layered it on. Like they wanted a twist. They're like, you want twists? Oh, mother- we'll give you twists. Yeah. You're a John Hawk's killer? No, he's not. He just walked into a motel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you think this is a little sweet boy? No, it's not. That's a killer. You, you think this hoe is going to go straight? No, she's still hoeing. She's like, still you know. hoeing. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's so, I don't know. Like, I, I still find it so odd that it came out in 2003. It just, it feels like it just, it, it's so unusual for its time, which is why I think I also really enjoyed it when I saw it. Because I was like, this, mm-hmm. this shouldn't be as fun as it is. Like, You're, it has a 90s mentality, yeah. and that's a good thing. I totally. Thought, movies in the 90s were great. Mm-hmm. Ashley Judd just running from stuff in the woods. That's all I want out of movies. There were so many great thrills. Oh, um, what was the one with Richard Gere and Kim Basinger? Uh, Final Analysis? Oh, yeah. We've talked about this before. Like, I've there's never not seen many it. sexy thrillers. Yeah. I love a good sexy, love a good sexy thriller. thriller. Yeah. And, yeah. And. This kind of had the the sexy thriller vibe going on, and I love it. Yeah, it's a good time. 
Yeah, right. 100%. Definitely recommend. Yeah. I mean, I picked it, so obviously. <laughs> um, I'm glad you picked it. Me too. Good. It was fun to rewatch. And I just bought the DVD for like eight bucks because it wasn't streaming cheap anywhere. I'm like, I'll, I'll rewatch this multiple times in life. So Yeah, and I feel like you can get something out of it the more oh, you yeah. watch it. There's probably a lot going on. I, I have to say, um, Dr. Cox from Scrubs, uh, like, whose name I don't remember, um, in this role, John in this movie. John C. McKinley? Or, yes. Yeah. Very much playing against type uh, as Dr. Yep. Cox was such a was such an alpha male. Uh, it re- this movie really showed me like, oh, he's actually a good actor. Yep. He's not just this one note character because he plays like a very meek, nerdy. He's definitely on the spectrum mm-hmm. because the, when the car has the blowout, he is reciting very Rain Man like steer into the skid. We're going to hit the brakes and, and put on the flashers. It's, it's funny because thinking about it, I feel like. In and I'm sure this script initially was probably like 300 pages. I feel like he seems the closest to Malcolm, like Malcolm as outside of the different personalities. Like the the John C. McGinley character is probably the closest to Malcolm. Like, do you the, mean just because he's neurodivergent? Because yeah, he has... I think so. And just this very um, kind of meek, kind of just. Uh, nervous like that seems like who somebody like Malcolm who grew up with this very rough childhood like that's who I, I believe that he could have grown into John C. McGinley. So that that's interesting because he is the it, it, they, they make pains to point out that he is the stepfather. Uh, my read yeah. is that he was who real Malcolm wished would have taken care of him. Mm. And come- oh that's yeah that's really smart. Because yeah, he, so like, he was so willing to take on this boy who didn't yep. talk, and, and he was so worried about him, and you know, standing outside the bathroom, it was just really, really sweet and pure. And mm-hmm. I was like, I think a little kid who felt abandoned would have wanted that. Mm, that's oh, a good point. That's a really good read. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, like I said, you're getting something new out of this. Like, if you rewatch it, so it's good that you bought it. Yeah. Totally. You revisit this in a few years, and it'll still mm-hmm. be fun. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. let me. I'm, I want to look over my notes and see if there's anything else I wanted to bring up because I know I did take notes on this one well, look at when you. I wrote it. Um, uh, oh, you know John Cusack. He's definitely set up to be. We've talked about this, but he's set up to be the hero because somebody says it's the celebrity Rosanna Arquette who says like we cannot. If you get out of this car, you'll be assuming responsibility, and he immediately says. It is my responsibility. <laughs> it's, it's just well, like, I mean, it oh, okay. is. Like, he hit a woman with his car. Like, that's yeah, not him. <laughs> like, like, it's not really Rebecca de Mornay's fault. Like, you can't blame her for that one. You could blame her if she made him drive away, yes. True. But it's very much a save the cat moment. They're yes. setting him up. Like, oh, this is the character that we're supposed to, to, to love. Mm-hmm, Oh, and the only other thing was about Ray Liotta. He's one of those actors that when he shows up, especially in a movie like this, where that's a mystery, you're going to suspect Ray Liotta. Always. I think we kind of talked about that, yeah. but it's almost like Law & Order when they have the actor, the, the name actor, you're like, oh, well, they're definitely going to be the killer. Because like, when Ray Liotta shows up, you're like, oh, he's definitely the killer, right? I mean, it's Ray Liotta. Yeah, well, it's the same. Um, I went through that with uh, Malice watching that movie and in the opening credits I see Tobin Bell's name and then as soon as I like watch like 10 minutes in I'm like oh there's a murder well okay obviously Tobin Bell's the murderer um or like the Alec Baldwin Alice the uh, yeah 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 Oh, yeah, there's, a, there's watched... so much. Have you watched that recently? There is so much going on in that movie. Like, I didn't spoil it because that's like only the first half hour of this movie that goes on forever. Yeah, 
I remember it's one of those movies, almost like kind of a little bit like this, because there's yeah. so many things. There's the kid playing the piano, yep. right? And there, you don't know what's going on there, but there's also a killer in town. And then there's this malpractice suit. And you're like, how the shit does this all fit yeah. together? And everybody is in that movie. You get Gwyneth Paltrow, you have Nicole Kidman, Tobin Bell. Like, it's a lot going on. Christine, you've oh. seen Malice, right? I have not seen it. <gasps> I feel it's like a it's you. Sexy thriller. It's Christine. made for you. I do like that, like Sliver. I recently watched yes. for the first time. <laughs> Malice is much better than Sliver. Oh, I don't. I don't know that that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that strange? Like that was a movie that I was dying to see, and I do not know why. Before it came out, me and my friends were ta- my friend Tom. We were talking about it all the time. We read the book. We went out and got the book of it. We're like, oh, they did a novelization. <laughs> we're so stupid. And then, and then we realized, like, because uh, it. And then we saw the movie. We're like, oh, that was vastly different because they were written like twenty years apart. Well, and but that was a movie I, that probably got edited, like, constantly changed twelve times over. And it made no sense yeah. at the end. It kind of made no sense, but I was still thrilled to go see that movie. I always say Coyote Ugly is the other one that had, like, the best trailer <gasps> in the world because I was dying to see that movie. Well, and Coyote I, Ugly, too, is the perfect case of a movie you're like, you know in some form of that movie John Goodman had a heart attack. Like, there's did, all of this stuff in the beginning about her trying to get her dad to eat better, to eat better, to eat better, to eat better. You got to watch yourself, Pops. And then... Right. Like, it's like, oh, my God, my dad's in the hospital. You're like, oh, he must have had a heart attack. No, he's a toll booth operator and he got hit by a car. <laughs> You're like, no, but, yeah. but what about the, the the type 2 diabetes? Like, what about all this? How, how is that not a thing in this movie? So. I knew an actress who was an extra on that movie. She was only in a couple things. Like, uh, oh, she was in Niagara, Niagara with Sean Hattesey, oddly <laughs> enough. <laughs> that movie came up when I was researching this. Um, but she said that when she was she was like an extra in one of the scenes with John Goodman, where he is talking to his daughter and then he gets in the car and drives away. And the car that they, she said the car that they got for him was so small. They got like a Geo Metro for fucking John Goodman. And he's and really he, big in that movie. He couldn't fit in the car that they got for his character. So I think they had to take the seat out of it. And then like, even then he had a hard time getting into it. So they had to have people like help him. Do you think they the rewrote car? his injury because they were like, oh, his feelings are going to be really hurt if we like write in a heart attack. Because this actress that, that I used to work with, she told me she was like during scenes when when we weren't when we weren't filming, he would always stand by himself with like his <gasps> head down, and he just oh. looked so sad. Oh, that breaks my heart. I know. I hate thinking of John Goodman sad. <sighs> so yeah, that really put a pall over that movie for me because I I loved that movie before. I know it's not good, but I do love it. Come on, you can't fight the moonlight. What are you talking about? <laughs> I love in movies, and burlesque is a lot like this, where there's a character who is like a songwriter. They want to like write songs, and then they just write the stupidest fucking song when it's finally revealed at the end of the movie. Because <laughs> the whole the whole time in burlesque, remember he's writing a song. He just writes then... like another song that's called burlesque. Burlesque, that's just it. yeah. It's one of it's eight in a movie, movie that movie. starts with the word burlesque. And he's agonizing over this song to the whole movie, and he's like furiously writing. And there's like um, uh, uh, montages of him throwing stuff away and trying again. And then at the end, it's just like boobity boobity. It sounds burlesque, exactly like the other song. <laughs> it's so great. Oh, burlesque. Christine, you've seen burlesque 35 times, like I, we have, right? I still have not seen it. Holy oh shit. 
what they did there was a there was a there was a performance i think it was just a one-time show it didn't tour but it chad michaels was Cher. this is drag <gasps> of course he was and pheromone was uh christina <gasps> and i was like oh that i would have watched who played stanley tucci i don't know oh. i only know the two leads <laughs> you know uh, eddie my husband actually did like cam gigante drag for me one time <laughs> he ordered all this stuff when we were going to go out one night he surprised me by dressing like cam gigante from burlesque <gasps> he had like eyeliner and just a vest on <gasps> and like a little cap it was oh, the sexiest thing that, i've ever that, seen that's like we were talking before about like the way you know that your partner is made for you and like that that's one of those ways definitely yes 100 percent. it was the best night all right let me see if i can find a uh ray Liotta suit for my husband <laughs> Speaking or a Stanley Tucci outfit, actually. Now that I said that, I know we're just rambling now, but I have to ask it. You've been watching Nine Perfect Strangers. You did mention, yes, it. but I didn't watch this week's yet. Okay, I haven't either. But um, M- Michael Shannon <laughs> singing <laughs> Grease. Yeah, it's crazy. This role, I have never seen him. Part of part yeah. of the reason. I don't like his intensity. It creeps me out. It always has. But in this movie, he is more akin to Dr. Cox in identity. He's yep. very meek, very much on the spectrum, very, very much a very dad. dad. Yeah. Yeah. Even his dumb jeans that he wears, he has dad jeans. You know he has those sneakers that are just green from mowing the lawn in them every week. And I have He's... no problem with any of this. Yes, I thought you would. You have the weirdest taste. I, I know. Love I know. What can I say? What can I say? I, I, so I have to ask: Do we still rate movies on this show? I forgot. Like, I mean, you can if you want. I don't. <laughs> I don't need to because, like, it's, per, it's superfluous. I, I think. Didn't we have that issue? We used Was to. This, this, yeah, yeah, no, no. We used to do a quality of film and a quality of what did I say? Enjoyment. Life Just... or enjoyment. Yeah. And I remember your ratings were always like, I give it a two point eight nine seven five. It got to the point where it meant like nothing. Yes. Your point. <laughs> your rating. <laughs> We would watch bullshit, and we'd be like, five stars! And then we'd watch, like, a classic, and we'd be like, five stars! And it became so arbitrary. I think we just went with, like, recommend and not recommend. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Yes. So, obviously, if we're doing that, both of these are a huge recommend for me. I was excited that I got to pick these. And I think they go together well as a double feature, too. They do. Both They're so vastly different in tone, too, that it's like refreshing i watched them like a night apart and i was like oh well these are thematically similar but also one's not a massive bummer and what i like too they're both studio films like they're both i mean they're both not gigantic budgets although charade was probably pretty expensive at least for the clothing like they're both this is a film studio making a movie with movie stars Mm. and that doesn't always come out well like or it does it usually isn't the same thing that we talk about 20 years later with like wow it's really innovative and it's doing interesting things and characters like but both of these movies do though at that and it shows that you can work in the system and come up with something pretty cool yeah and i do have one thing to say on that too this movie was like we said came out in 2003 and i remember it was it was fairly maligned by critics it didn't do very well and people even people i know who saw it were like that movie stupid blah 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 it's so great to have that distance of time 
that you just appreciate when you're not there's not the weight of like how it did at the box office or if you yeah. paid to see it in the theater and your experience if you just watch this movie it's fucking great and i love any movie that just does something at yeah. least it was doing something interesting it it makes me think um and i know we just keep going on tangents but i think this this is an interesting one christine what is that movie with um the 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 girl who dies but her uncle gets the phone call and is able to travel back and is trying to save her oh um don't let go don't let go yeah like never that, let, I, yeah. I think it's no don't let go because never let me go is the cloning movie um but don't let go which came, was like notorious because when it, it was a theatrical film and it was like the lowest grossing movie of the year or like the lowest grossing movie of a certain budget of that time where it just made no money at all and mm-hmm. and so of course it was like oh well this movie is trashic and both of us watched it eventually when it was streaming and we're like this is really good it's really different it's really warm there's a lot going on in the theater i went to the theater and i cried my eyes out the whole time and then people are like well i'm not gonna see this movie yeah. and it's like and it originally was supposed to have a white cast right, it was not right. written have like black people in yep. it and i think that that for some reason puts people off also it's not like a horror film and it's not a sci-fi yeah. film it's more like a speculative film mm-hmm. and that is categorize and think throws people off but anyways yeah it sucks because then you have this really interesting film that barely anybody saw and it kind of gets lost yeah mm-hmm. and i think today with like streaming being so ubiquitous it's like oh that will eventually and that eventually did hit i think hulu and a lot of people started saying oh you know this movie wasn't so bad this was actually good and there's like some of those movies and it's why i think i'm also to go back to our initial conversation why i am so backing off of theaters i don't care if this if a movie like identity came out in the theaters to me and maybe i'm speaking of it differently because it doesn't affect me one way or another if that came out in theaters um versus it went straight to a streaming site where i'm more likely to watch it eventually anyway but the question of as long as we can still get these movies made and I think you get the mid-budgets from streaming services now more so than you will from studios. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's There was that movie that came out a few years ago, uh, God, Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. Remember mm-hmm. Jupiter Ascending? Mm-hmm. I mean, that Chaskis. was a huge big-budget big movie, but that was one of those movies that was so much was on it because it was such a big budget. It had, like, such big names attached to it and a big director, et cetera, et cetera, and it got maligned by critics. I think there's going to be such a reevaluation of that film in, like, ten mm-hmm. years. That's just an example of, of what we'll re- reevaluate because that movie was doing some really weird, interesting, fun stuff. Um, but people are like, what is going on? I don't know. It's not what I expected. And I think that when you have expectations wrapped around uh, the the review of a film or the cultural zeitgeist, yeah. it's difficult to separate those two. But when you get away from it and there's no expectations going into a movie, yeah. you well, love it that much And that more. happens when you're spending 10 to $20 on it versus spending two hours at home watching it. And right, and going back to what we were saying before, like going to th- movies in New York, it was an ordeal to go yeah. to movies in New yep. York. Yep. Like I'm sure we've said this before, but you always have to buy your tickets in advance, so you have to take care of that at home or on your phone. You have to get there an hour early because there's never seats, but then you also have to usually travel an hour at least mm-hmm. on a couple different trains. So it's an all day yeah. thing to see a movie. So if oh, it's not, yeah, that's it's... so true. It would be the entire Sunday. Yep. Yeah. 
it was a whole fucking thing, and like you have to set aside your whole day to do this. And then if you didn't get what you wanted, I understand being upset about it. Yeah. But without expectations, if you're spending, I spent three ninety nine on Identity to watch it again. I'm like, I fucking love this movie. Yeah. I was in my underwear watching it at home, and it was one of the best things that I had ever seen that blew my mind. I'd seen it before, yeah. but I'm like, this is great. And I think that's I, too what's so interesting is I've still seen people complain about the prices of on demand. Where they're like, well, I'm not spending ten bucks for it. I'm like, and I, I don't know. And again, maybe that's just because of prices, because a theater price here is so much more than in sure. other parts of the country. But like, we, I think the only movie we've really paid for so far since all of this was Black Widow, which was thirty bucks to rent, and there's two of us. It would have been more expensive for us to go to a theater anyway. Sure. But I guess there is still that idea of well, paying fifteen bucks for Identity or Don't Let Go might still feel like a financial burden but would you pay eight bucks for it like i don't know it's just it's an interesting it's impossible to talk about new movies without addressing it nowadays and i find that frustrating and interesting and we're all still figuring it out too because i had to do the cultural shift in my head because I had that initial reaction. I'm like, I'm not paying 20 bucks to rent a movie. But then I had to actually figure out like, okay. oh, well, if I go to the theater, the it's going to be go. at least yeah. that much. Yep. And I'll have to drive somewhere. And I'm going to buy snacks. Obviously, I'll buy a lot of snacks. Uh, and But here, and, and I'll have to put on pants. I don't want to put on pants. Put on a bra to watch a movie? <laughs> right? No, oh, thank come you. Come on now. <laughs> So I had to change how change my mind about that because now it's worth worth it sometime to spend twenty bucks and make it a date night yep. in. It's so much fun. And so do that with these movies. Yep. Do a double feature. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad we all had a good time. Indeed. That's all I care about. It's nice to be nice. Indeed. It's nice to be nice. <laughs> Unless you're little Timmy, where it's yeah. more fun to be murderous. He doesn't do that at any point in the movie. <laughs> doesn't he, though, Christine? Doesn't he? <laughs> in your mind, don't you hear it? You're both doing it. It's so funny because you're doing it like it's an actual thing that happens. He just—he looks point. like a little talking doll, and like if he was an actual talking doll, he'd say, "I'm Timmy." You're dead, right? Doesn't he? The only line he is at the end, line. right? Doesn't he say whores don't get second yeah. chances? Which yeah, is, yeah, me yeah, that's Timmy. unfortunate. But so he does say something, it's and then he says, "I'm Timmy." Timmy, Timmy. Okay. All right, I'll stop because in my mind, I've spun a whole other movie for Timmy. <sighs> yeah, we need to write this. Yes, we do. All right. Um, do we have any more to say about identity? No, that's no, it. I don't think so. All right. Well, obviously, recommends from all of us. Uh, before we go, uh, let's tell everybody where to find you, fine people. Fozzy. Uh, yeah, I'm still on Twitter. I don't use Twitter a lot. I mean, it may seem like I do, but it's out of boredom. I'm like, I think Twitter is dying and nobody responds to me except you two. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we keep in touch. But I'm on Twitter at Fozzie Bear, F-O-Z-Z-I-E-B-A-R-E. Um, but mostly I'm on Instagram, but I honestly lurk on Instagram a lot because I work from home. So I never look cute enough to take a picture and actually post <laughs> anything. So oh, we nuked your selfies. That's I, true. Yeah. I, yeah, I never post anything anymore because like I am a wreck every day now. 
Um, but I'm on Instagram at the same name if you want to find me. And that's pretty much it. I've kind of like taken a step back from social media. That's why I get so excited and talk to you to find people for three hours. <laughs> no. no, no problem on my end. Christine, you've got exciting things happening. Uh, I, yeah, I guess so. Um, so I'm always on Twitter. Uh, it's my name. Uh, you can find me. It's Christine Makepeace. Just search my name. I'm the only Christine Makepeace out there. But she also spells Except it for the, that lady that that raises greyhounds in England. But that's oh. not me. Isn't that weird? Do, uh, Emily, do you have a, a name double no. somewhere? No. Oh, I do. And mine is like a conservative like uh, senator from Colorado <gasps> oh, or some dumb shit. Oh, yeah. who, who I've been DMing with. God. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. That's where all your Hooter pictures are going. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, a, I have a new book coming out at the end of uh, October. October <gasps> Um, you can pre-order the digital version right now, which is mid-September. The physical version will not be available until the 26th of October because Amazon uh, self-publishing does not allow you to do pre-orders on physical books. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, yeah. bitches. So can you give us a synopsis or an overview? Sure. It's a novella surrounded by nine short stories. Um, the novella is uh, a cosmic um possession story i like that me too um, and uh the themes of the other stories are duality loss of identity anti-capitalism feminism uh they're spooky and weird and very... Ooh, they fit in perfectly with these movies too i uh-huh. like that thanks and yeah. what's it called it uh, it's called the sound of breaking glass which is the title of the novella love it and... Ooh, that's evocative i like that yeah. Yeah. October 26th, pre-order. I'll talk about it again when you can get... Everybody's like, I like physical books. I'm like, yeah, me too. Wait a second. <laughs> I'll get it. Yeah. Well, that's wildly exciting. Um, I have I have news that's really uncomfortable. Uh, oh, wait, no, maybe not. Maybe not. Did they actually do it? So I was looking up if there was another Emily and Travia out there. Um, I have not found another Emily and Travia, or have I? I found a website... Um, that says uh, talks about the wedding of Emily Blumenshine and Jared Intravia. Interesting. Which means I don't know Emily Blumenshine's style. Um, if she changed her name, then there is another Emily Intravia out there. If she did not, like I did not, then we do not have one. Yeah. Well, no offense to your name. I think you have a great name, but I would keep Blumenshine. That's a pretty good. awesome name. Yeah, no, that is a good name. She shouldn't change it. Yeah, that was. I would watch a show. If she changes her name, I am going to make it my mission to destroy her. Send her a message, find her, and tell her you're her from the future, and yeah. that she can't change her Oh, I'll like the coffee's poisoned. I'm going to send like a really unflattering picture of me, me like this is what you're going to become. <laughs> <laughs> your name yeah. yeah like what if she's like really tall i'm like see now now look at you now bitch yeah. congratulations your bones turned to dust <gasps> and you shrunk yeah how about that Ooh, okay <laughs> this is man why now do you I, have a mission like i think i'm a really positive person but i have a really dark side when it comes to like fantasizing identities of people i don't know you should see me watch commercials it's very like sometimes brandon just looks at me he's like what what like y- y- why does your mind go to such dark places? 
I you know, I know we're rambling at this point because we just like talking to each other, but I have always been fascinated by how you are such a sunny, positive yeah. person in general. But like, you can take in so much darkness, and yeah. like, it, and it, it it lives there, but it doesn't come out very much, and that kind of scares me. Yeah, because, it like, might be bottling up. Like, one day it might explode. Maybe because no, you it comes out. It's there. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I love you so much. Oh, you. Yeah. I Well, it's mostly, what was that movie, Megan is Missing? Megan is Missing, yeah. D- disturbed me to no end. And you watched it, and you're like, oh, I watched a pretty good movie the other night. You should watch it. You recommended it. And I watched <laughs> it, and I was traumatized for weeks. And you're just like, yeah, she ends up in a barrel with her friend, and like she has to suffocate watching her friend decay. I'm like, okay, love you, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's me. Yeah. That's the Emily shit I've ever heard. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it's why, like, we've talked about this before, like, why I don't like true crime, because that's where I'm like, I, I have no guilt at all watching the worst, most brutal fiction or reading, like, the worst horror fiction, because I feel like that that's an escape. That is, it, it's imaginary, and I'm allowed to do this i'm allowed to go dark whereas as soon as it turns into like oh you know that was based on a real case and here's like oh oh now was i like getting something out of somebody else's pain and then i feel bad Mm, so yeah yeah i get that i get that but so you're but you're dark and i love it you're dark and twisted and we love you for that oh well well on that note we're gonna end on that because i i like going out with being loved (laughs) all right so look for these people buy christine's pre-order or don't pre-order get the kindle and then order the physical book when it's available uh cool the sound of breaking glass, sound of breaking glass. great title <laughs> that's my breaking glass oh, sound effect it's an onomatopoeia yes exactly all right we'll be back eventually with a catch-up where we'll talk about a lot of things i think including Candyman. so uh that's everything all right folks yeah. awesome thanks right. for having me love Our you guys pleasure. bye bye <laughs> Oh, edit that out. <laughs> Never. One blue party in the county jail. Prison band was there and they began to wail. The band was jumping and the jump began to swing. Should have the knock down jailbird sing. Let's rock. Everybody, let's rock. Seven, seven, number three. You, you, the jailbird I ever did see. I should have been